0: This episode is supported by Dove. Narrow beauty standards have permeated our feeds, causing girls to digitally distort themselves on social media. To help combat this, the Dove Self-Esteem Project is taking action to support the next generation so they can have a positive experience online by providing no-cost resources to parents, mentors, and educators. Dove is tackling the issue of digital distortion with Reverse Selfie, a film rooted in new research on body confidence from the Dove Self-Esteem Project. They are also providing a new confidence kit so that kids and parents can navigate social media with confidence and have a more positive experience online. Head on over to dove.com slash the selfie talk to download the new confidence kit and helpful tips to have the selfie talk today. But Alex. Yeah, Shane.
1: Let's begin this episode.
0: Let's do it. Hello everyone, I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband Shane. The babies are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this Family Tree Podcast episode 87.
1: And I have no idea who we're talking to today.
0: Well you aren't here, but we do have a fantastic episode planned. So first up we have Rosalia Rivera. She is a Consent parenting expert. She herself is a sexual abuse survivor and she now coaches parents who are sexual abuse survivors and just, you know, other parents who want to learn on how to educate their kids on body safety, boundaries, and consent so that they can empower their kids to prevent abuse. So it's a heavy conversation. Obviously, there is a trigger warning for that conversation because we do talk about sexual abuse, but it is so fascinating. Rosalia is so good at what she does and she is so full of just incredible information like I had so many questions for her and she was amazing at you know meeting them all with really thoughtful
1: answers. How did you handle this interview without having me there?
0: (laughs) I think it went okay whenever you're not here I get so nervous because then you you can't really look down at your notes but it really flowed with Rosalia and just everything she brought up I had more questions about. So this one was one of the easiest ones to do solo. So next up, we have Alana K. Fetz. She is the founder of Moms Toronto, of Mom Halo, and of Fest, which are huge. Like if you are in Southern Ontario, specifically the GTA, Hamilton, Toronto, you're gonna know who she is. And we talk about her experience as a mother to a child with Myrie syndrome. And it's an incredibly, exceptionally rare disease. And she has only just been learning about it in the past few weeks. So she gave birth around the same time we gave birth to Betty, or I gave birth to Betty. And her child, at about four months old, started presenting these health issues. And since then, she has become a sick kid's mom, uh, you know, spending the majority of her time at Sick Kids Hospital, learning what that means to be a parent to a sick child. And she just offers a lot of wisdom through her own experience. And advice to other parents who may find themselves in a situation like that. So a really touching, uh, very candid interview with her. So I, I really appreciated her time to talk about her son.
1: So this episode's not exactly a million laughs a minute, in other words.
0: No, we'll cover that, we'll cover that in the uh, Q&A segment at the end.
1: Why not the top?
0: And the top. Babe, I have faith in you and the top. I'm already okay, laughing.
1: Well, speaking of uh, laughs, not even. Let's cheers this drink here. Cheers, Meteor. let cheers to laughs, I'll say that.
0: <laughs> okay, what so. What are we drinking? We are drinking non-alcoholic cocktail as per usual. So we're doing seed lip Garden 108 and Cucumber beaver tree tonic water because it's just the most classic combo and you and i played some tennis today and i've been like sweaty and hot since then so i thought this would be the most refreshing way to go about our evening
1: yeah i thought i was a good tennis player then i played you and you almost beat me well and i realized i'm not even good at all not even remotely good
0: yes you are you are good you are good you have some mean service babe i'm serious yes you do
1: your dad, if he's listening to this, is laughing right now. I do not think my <laughs> serve is mean. Uh, but yeah, point is, you were at, like, this was the first time we had actually played competitively before. We just hit it roughly mm-hmm. over the net to be like, let's try to hit it back and forth 100 times. And I suggested we actually play a competitive game, thinking, I'm just going to smoke you, right? And I'll be of like, course. oh, this will be kind of fun for me. And she'll, re- <laughs> she'll respect how good I am at tennis. You ended up returning like, Everything I threw at you, mm-hmm. I I just gave you one pointer, and you just served it to memory instantly. And everything you did was like you played tennis a lot, you know.
0: Well, here, and I do respect how you played, and you're a new tennis player yourself. Like you only started playing during the pandemic times. But I mean, you okay? So you know how I am when it comes to learning new things. Like one of your complaints about me is that. I'm unteachable, and I don't like hearing advice. I didn't or say anything. that. Well, you you say your no. complaint is that I don't like hearing advice or being told how to do things from somebody.
1: Hey, okay, let's augment this here. <laughs> I always say you are a great learner. You're a fast learner. Yes. You pick up things very quickly, mm-hmm. but you do not like being told anything.
0: Okay, so 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 there's that right. But I I'm just trying to illustrate how much respect I have for you and how quickly you've picked up tennis I was really trying to glean as much as I could from you today and like I was asking you a million questions while we were playing and listening with both ears and total openness whenever you did have a pointer for me because you know we're kind of learning this together and you are so good so I I really appreciated anything you had to tell me that kind of help me out.
1: Well, how come the first time we went to the gym together, and this was <laughs> earlier in our relationship, Alex asked me for some pointers and I gave them to her and you got really like, I know, okay, I know. like I was just like, oh, just straight, straighten your elbow, stop it. Okay, I get, it was like, whoa. It was the only time I was thinking, this isn't the Alex I know and love. <laughs> and then I realized after that, oh, it gets a little bit contentious. Anytime you ask for advice, and I give you advice.
0: Well, not today.
1: I know, that's what I'm saying. I'm I'm wondering why tennis is this thing that's transcendent. Because you were really great at getting advice today.
0: Well, thank you, uh, and you were great at giving it, but could a bit of it be that maybe I'm becoming a more patient and receptive person? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see,
1: TBD on that. <laughs> but yeah, I. Uh, the reason that these interviews were solo mm-hmm. and you know who knows this might be a thing that happens more and more as the pandemic opens up i i honestly don't think so because it does seem like working from home is going to be a new thing so hopefully i'll be able to hop in on my work breaks and be part of these interviews but if not uh you're going to be handling them solo but it, it's all to say the reason you were doing it was i was on a three day long work trip yeah which it was for a shoot, it was like this corporate shoot. It was very stressful. There was like, I'd say three weeks of my life leading up to it were very monopolized and I was having trouble picturing how the shoot was actually gonna materialize and so was everyone else involved because (laughs) when you're dealing with prop houses and uh, any any sort of rental facility, right now they don't really let you swing by and just check it out. You Mm kind of get to give it a look-see online and then you've pretty much purchased it after that. So the shoot was three times harder than it really needed to be. And uh, I'm also not vaccinated. So I'm. Yeah. this is my first time being around others who you p- could potentially have COVID in my mind, right? Like I... Other people have been playing it safe, but we've been playing it super safe. So that added a layer of stress. I had to drive. I hadn't driven in a a car in in basically two years. And Toronto is exceptionally stressful for me. All those one-way streets. And uh, it was hectic.
0: Sorry, I just got to say, speaking of driving in Toronto, while we're there, the worst thing about driving in Toronto is those intersections where it's like, you can typically turn left except for, and then it gives you like... Five different times of the day in mice type. That is, you can't even see (laughs) it. Size
1: four and a half font, and you can only see it as the cop is writing you a ticket (laughs) or you're being rammed from a person from the front. It's
0: so bad. It's so bad. It's like you're not allowed to turn left between 12 and 2 on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays between you know the 16th and the 18th of the month. Oh, my, Just have a fucking
1: X underneath <laughs> the stoplight. That's just like, X is on, don't do a left right? turn. Now the X isn't on, or now there's a green check mark. Give us something clear. It's like meant to mess with tourists' yes. minds. Oh, everyone's honking like, hey, it's 7.02. You can't do that at 7. I'm like, you think I know, I'm not from here. I don't drive. I don't know what I'm doing. So I know, yeah, yeah, that that was stressful. I was in a hotel, but I did get the rapid COVID tests.
0: Yes. So that so this is, you know, so many people listening are going to be like, oh, whatever, like a COVID test. We've been getting them all the time. But this is the first time anybody in this household has had a COVID test. But
1: this was a rapid one. I don't think a lot of people listening get those rapid ones. It was like, like waiting for a pregnancy test.
0: That's so cool. Yeah. So what, what is I felt like the I was famous? Process. I felt like
1: like you hear like. Some podcasts they have guests in studio yeah. like Joe Rogan and other people and they just stuff it up like Dave Chappelle's nose. They wait 10 minutes and then he can come in <laughs> and be interviewed. I felt like I was that Dave Chappelle type of celeb on deck.
0: Well, it's like what they did the Oscars too, right? For yeah. all the people in there. Okay. So what what is the process of getting one of these rapid tests?
1: So I sat down. And then the woman said, can you please cover your mouth with the mask? Like, you don't just like, what if you cough when I shove this up your right. nose? I was like, sorry, I'm new here, like to <laughs> earth kind of. And then she rammed this long Q-tip up my nose. I sure a lot of people who had the test nose, but it didn't. It was so built up that it's like, oh, we're going to, you know, mess your brains around and all that. Like, what do people say? I don't
0: know. Stuff like that.
1: That I thought it was really gonna hurt, but it wasn't that bad.
0: Cause you, you are similar to me in that you notoriously hate things in and around your nose. Like I don't. I yeah, like if somebody's like putting something up your nose.
1: (laughs) 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 Warning! uh, (laughs) Please don't shove anything up Shane's nose. He hates that. (laughs) I don't hate that.
0: I thought you were like super against nose stuff.
1: I'm not. (laughs) What, and how much nose stuff happens in, like, I, life? Well. I find there's not a lot of situations where I'm like, sorry, don't put that up my nose. I'm one of those guys. Like, <laughs> well, no one's doing nose stuff to me ever.
0: No. Well, okay. I guess, like, when we first started dating, you had sinus problems. So, you're always doing the, what is that called? The the nose inhaler thing?
1: okay. I thought you were going to say snot rockets. And I was going to stop you. I was <laughs> no. like, please do not say that. Um, oh,
0: you just did. But, no. No, I meant for don't say that I was
1: doing that. Because I don't think I was. But. What are you talking about? Nose inhaling.
0: Yeah, what do you go? To to make your nose feel better.
1: Oh, um, like um yeah, what is that called? It's a saline? It's, yeah, saline solution I was putting on my mm-hmm. nose.
0: No, but you um Well that's
1: an uncomfortable thing you're you're putting salt water yeah. up your nose and basically like swallowing it through your nose that's I, I think anyone does not like that <laughs> if you do like that that's strange to me
0: well i'm sorry shane is more into nose stuff than i presumed sorry for the assumption making an ass out of you and me
1: <laughs> i'd say i'm average nose stuff <laughs> like, like needles i'm uh, totally against and yeah. i know a lot of people no one likes the feeling of a needle but i am terrified of needles spiders i'm terrified Mm. my heartbeat i'm terrified my belly button i'm terrified of those are my main weird things right right and i don't like people touching my hair when it's wet but that's (laughs) what (laughs) (laughs) you're willing to accept nose stuff wasn't that weird but hair wet you snort and you (laughs) snort
0: funny sorry i do snort
1: Um, so what i'm totally off the rails here what am i talking about okay so your shoot yeah, okay. Oh, I wanted to ask, how was it with me gone? Well, cuz you were you, you were handling all this technical stuff. You actually set up the Zoom. Yeah. This H6 recorder, which is the device that we use to It's actually called a Zoom H6. Mm-hmm. So you set this up yourself, which you were very intimidated by. You set up the Zoom, you set up the ring light, and then it's just you running the interview by yourself.
2: Yeah,
0: it was nerve-wracking a little bit it was good because you were at home so for the first two interviews that I had to do by myself you were still at home so the first one you kind of walked me through the second one I set up by myself but then you came and checked it after to make sure it was correct and then the third one I was feeling so confident in myself and I set everything up so early I was like how early half hour
1: Really good. Yeah.
0: And uh, I just felt like I was like a good little podcast recorder and just doing a good job. And then I was so excited about doing a good job that, you know, I started recording it on the iCloud, like the actual interview, but then I forgot to press record on our actual recorder. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Which I said you would forget.
0: Yeah. And it was about, it was maybe the first two or three minutes of the conversation that I Mm -hmm. did not press that.
1: We did that with one of the guests. we, One of our first guests we've had on, which was one of our first big guests. We're just having the greatest (laughs) time on air. And then half an hour in, I realized I have not hit record. (laughs) I have to tell the guests this. And luckily, they were pretty cool. And we just started the conversation over again and covered all the same stuff, but it just, the energy is totally different when that happens. Luckily, you did it for only three mm. minutes, so kudos to you for remembering that, and how the interviews went well.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it's such a different dynamic, that, like doing it alone as right. opposed it's to girl when you're time, there. time,
1: they're more comfortable well, with you. no, no, no,
0: no, so I'd say it is more like mom talk or something like that. However, I really miss having you, and I think what sets our interviews apart is that we have two different perspectives, And you and I get to kind of riff on each other. And it's just, we have a lot of fun with guests. And I think that guests feel that and that they enjoy talking to both of us. And I really missed not having you here to, you know, just have fun interviewing people with. And I, I really do appreciate your perspective. And you ask so many great questions, Shane, that I don't even think of. And my God, damn, like, that's an awesome question. And I, I really thought that you could have contributed a lot to the conversations I had this week.
1: I'm blushing. <laughs> okay, aside from that, did what did you... What was like... Okay, I'll go the opposite. What was the best thing about not having me around?
0: Going to bed early.
1: So I keep you up. Again, I'm blushing.
0: <laughs> so uh, I went to bed pretty early every night. I You went, know
1: you can go to bed at any time you want, by no, the way. No, but I like I hanging
0: out with you. And so here's the thing. If... Like you not being here, I didn't have a reason to stay up. It's not like I was like single and texting with guys all night. It's not like I'm you, I have you here and you and I are hanging
1: out. What about catching up on that perverted Scottish Highlander show you like?
0: I finished it and it's not perverted, it's historical.
1: You make it perverted.
0: Get out of here. I do not. You make it perverted. Okay. (laughs) By being like, ooh, Alex loves this show.
1: Okay, Al, you've tried to get him on the pod like 17 times. Well,
0: why not? Why
1: are you blushing so bad? Or, you're actually blushing. I'm not. You are. Your face is completely red. <laughs> st- I'm gonna take a photo of you and show it to you. Your face is completely red. <laughs> okay, keep going. What are you okay, saying? Okay,
0: Shane, I just I love the relationship that they have in the show, Jamie and Claire. They're like, okay, whatever. I'm ready. Showed Alex here. a picture
1: of her face. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm.
0: I know. I hear I love their relationship. They're like Married, they're just like the most passionate, loving, married couple on the face of the earth. and in Wait, are all we talking about
1: the Scottish e- show stuff? Yes. Okay, yeah, oh, it's fine. It, the okay. show's fine. What was the... Okay, besides going to bed early, yep. what were some fringe benefits of me not being around?
0: Oh, going to bed early was like amazing. Besides that. Oh, okay. I just kind of went about my business all day. And uh, I don't know, there was there was something peaceful about it. I, I think because when you're here, it's just another person... Working, like you're working your own job. You are also parenting and then you're also doing podcast stuff with me. So it's just like another person that is stressed in the house, and not on just on date me.
1: nights, I'm working it. In the <laughs> sense that I'm looking okay when I dress up.
0: You look great on date nights. And we had a date night last week. We just did it early. We did it on Monday. And I'd say it was one of our best date nights, actually. But um yeah, I thought that it was a little... Less stressful, and I like to go into bed early.
1: Okay, well, that's hurtful. <laughs> <laughs> just hit me with the <laughs> knockout punch, and I don't know. Less stressful, I have more fun. That's all.
0: No, I didn't say more fun. I just said less stressful.
1: Okay, but I was so you're bored having, at night. I was bored so at night. So you're that's having was... more fun when I'm around, and you're way more stressed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that adds up.
0: <laughs> that's okay. exactly the situation.
1: What was my favorite part of being away? Okay. Well, what?
0: I don't know. Why are you
1: cringing so bad? I
0: don't know. I'm bracing myself. I I was just going to say,
1: I'm not sleeping in a room with a baby. Yeah. So I could sleep. There was something kind of fun and exciting, although it. Because. (laughs) (laughs) You're like leaning back like you're in a therapist chair. Okay. Because it was. It feels like, I don't know, the apocalypse out there to me. And I was at this (laughs) weird hotel in this, it was like a weird part of Toronto or North York. I don't know where I am ever. And it was just all these condos and buildings. And it was like this whole other ecosystem. And I was at a very like $80 a night hotel. So (laughs) the vibe was like otherworldly and I don't know, apocalyptic, but just. Being there was exciting in a way, just being out of the house in in that in a very weird way, and I I don't know, just watching basketball. I hadn't watched a basketball game in probably over a year because you're not the the very like into basketball in the way I thought you might be. So like you kind of just scroll on your phone. So I feel like it's not fun TV watching time. So I could watch a basketball game guilt free, and they had this this beer deal at the hotel where. You could get four beers for twenty dollars. It's awesome. I just wanted one beer, but he's like, it's eight bucks. You can get four for twenty. I was like, that's a good deal. Do we have a fridge in the uh, room? And he starts laughing. It's such a cheap hotel. He's like, oh heavens no. Of course not. Everyone just chugs these beers immediately. And sure enough, there were so many drunk people at this hotel. It was, that's hilarious. It was, it was ridiculous. Uh, but I was like, Can I put like a these beers on kind of like a layaway system? And he's like, sure. So he just gives me one beer, gives me a ticket like you would for coat check, and then kept the rest of the beers in a (laughs) fridge for me. So anytime I wanted a a beer, I just gave him my ticket and he gave it back to me. And that was kind of fun.
0: And you said that the hotel also had great food.
1: Yes, they had a, a diner that just had classic... Greasy food. And everything they had was amazing. Their pizza was amazing. Their onion rings were unbelievable. I like those crunchy, thinner type of onion rings. Like mm. the Harvey's onion rings. Yeah. If you're from Canada, you know what I'm talking about. But I don't like when it's those fat donut onion rings. They're
0: so doughy.
1: They're so doughy. They're not crispy. It has no crunch. And it's just like an onion.
0: And then if you try to put like uh, vinegar on it or something, it just... So soggy. Ugh, so gross.
1: And I don't like onions, yet I love onion rings. Mm. So it I, the onion needs to be like wrapped in the crunchiest thing ever anyway the food was good i knew like you're really like you know you don't like cleaning up really like the bedroom we talked about this on the pod like i knew our bedroom was going to be cleaned when i come home because you get extremely proactive about making sure when someone comes over that the house is like all dolled up so I knew you were going to like you cleaned our bathrooms and oh like you, you total all the laundry was off the floor like our house was apocalyptic when when I left and yeah. I came back and it was like a brand new house and is is the reason you do that? Do you think it's like oh I don't want Shane to think it's more fun on the outside or something like <laughs> is that the psychology?
0: I want you to appreciate coming home and I want your first thought upon coming home to be. Oh, man, this is awesome. Like, I miss this. Or it's nice to be home or something like that. I had a
1: feeling that was it. So of course. were you panicking at all? Like, oh, he's going to like it out there too much.
0: Yes. Were,
1: yeah. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> and you're not joking. Like, <laughs> no, I know that's I your know. actual thought I'm process. I'm not joking, No. Funny. Well, it worked. Like when I, can't because my room also had no air conditioning. It did, but it was one of those air conditioners that can't go below eighty.
0: It's brutal. Oh my god. So I, I was died. just
1: sweating it all night. Luckily, I was pretty exhausted at, at day's end.
0: I just want to say that a part of my cleaning, I like personally snaked our shower drain, which was a disgusting and weird job that I never thought that I'd do, so that I could start draining properly again. Like. It was very gross.
1: That was an extreme move. Yeah, you did that today. Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: that was a part of my uh, cleanup process, so.
1: Oh, and last topic here. Before we left, we had a date night. We usually do it on Wednesday, but I did it on Monday because I, I didn't want to miss mm-hmm. a pod. And uh, well, after the date night, we were just having some drinks up, out on our porch. And your parents sent us this video of them on a a boat. Like yes. they're, at, they're at their cottage. And your your the engine shut out for your parents' boat, and they're s- stranded. And your mom is more high stress, and your dad's more chill about it. And your mom's like, "John, what are we gonna do? We're stranded." And he's like, "Chill, babe. We're just gonna coast. Like how we're we gonna co- drift.
0: Yeah, we're just gonna drift.
1: <laughs> like how we were when we were in our late teens and early twenties. Just drift. Life is like a great big lake." She's like, "Okay, John. I'm I'm gonna like throw you off the boat right now." It was a very funny clip. And I was I was thinking at the time, I was like, Alex, what if we put this on TikTok? And you're like, okay, yeah, it could do all right. So we put it on TikTok. It ended up getting over 700,000 views.
0: That's huge.
1: But you didn't anticipate that hate comments would start coming at your mom. Oh, my mom. gosh. So you start deleting them because at the, you realize that this is going to get to your parents somehow because people are seeing this. And now TikTok's more ubiquitous than yeah. it used to be sure enough your dad finds out that it's been on TikTok well, before you had a chance to tell him
0: somebody from his his team like somebody from his professional team in his incredibly professional medical job put it in their like team message group and they're like Johnny's viral on TikTok yeah.
1: <laughs> so he doesn't look at the comments he thinks oh this is great so he tells lorna your mom and then she sees all these savage like comments. Like
0: sexist comments.
1: Because you had thought that you had deleted them. But really you were just deleting them off so you couldn't see them. Yeah. But all the, the rudest comments in the world were just available. And if you don't know that TikTok is just like a breeding ground for trolls, then you're really going to be taken aback by this.
0: But like I what I don't get is that like I know there's a lot of trolls on TikTok. But why were first of all all the trolls dudes? And secondly, why is the thing that all these dude trolls were attacking is is women. Like they watch this video and they just start like like brutal stuff, like saying really terrible stuff. Like yeah. about like killing her and like women in general. Like it was awful.
1: Yeah. She she wasn't being very chill though in their defense. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, of course but so this is like your worst nightmare oh my God. happened because you you still hadn't told your mom. Even after you knew that she knew, you did, You said nothing to her because you were terrified. Well, And then, then it was her birthday. Oh, it was her birthday. So then she messages just you and I on a text and said, this is unfair. Uh, it, this made me look like I'm just like a meanie and I'm not like it, it categorized me in a bad light. So I'm like, I'm I'm not commenting on this. Like, you, I don't have that comfort level. Like, Lorna and I have never clashed. So I'm like, take it over, Alex. Like, you're going to respond. You don't say shit. It's just, you don't say anything. You just let it hang. And I'm like, okay, I'm busy enough on this shoot where I guess, like, I can just plead ignorance. Like, I didn't see this text, even though I'm, like, having my first beer. And, like kind of just scared all of a sudden. I, I almost wanted to go back and cash in my second beer with my ticket. But... Anyway, the next day, it was Lorna's actual birthday Mm because it was the day before. And then they start trying to duplicate the experience of the boat. (laughs) In a different situation. Now that they've gone viral, they started recreating all these (laughs) scenarios. But it's obviously not the same once you know you're doing it to go viral. But it was funnier in a way to us because we knew what they were doing having known the other video and what they were trying Mm -hmm. to duplicate. And in the, the video that went viral, you called your dad like a big Lebowski type. Mm-hmm. So in the new videos he started calling himself the dude. He was like, Yeah, the dude's just chill. <laughs> but it was like it was just well, funny. Yeah.
0: And then and then like my mom was playing up Like the role of a naggy wife. Like, just to this
1: wild degree. She's like, All right, anything for the fame, I guess. (laughs) She's like, John, come on, do that. I'm like, She's being more annoying than she ever was in the other video.
0: Hey, people people love that 15 minutes, Shane. It's a hard thing to let go of.
1: Well, fame does strange things to people. And I totally understand that mentality because you and I had these a couple porch videos where mm-hmm. we're just outside in our porch and we're doing like parenting tropes and we're making fun of parents who are yeah. very judgmental. Every type, right? And then I just turned to you one day and I said, let's only do porch videos now. <laughs> this is the secret formula. So we've done like, I don't know, 15 porch videos. <laughs> and that's that was the same mentality your parents got into. Oh, anyway, absolutely. I found it very meta and funny and...
0: No, I loved it. I loved it. And they knew that their date night episode was a success when they took over for Shane and I. Oh,
1: yeah. That was the taste of fame. Yeah. Then they actually went viral. Right. Now it's like there's no turning back. And your dad actually started a TikTok account. (laughs) And he actually has more followers than us right now. Have you checked it out recently? Get out of here. Have you seen his last two videos? They're actually hilarious.
0: He didn't put up any
1: videos. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) No. That would be awesome. Jealousy was starting yeah. to see oh, through me. Oh, I saw face. it. Your fa- I'll show you a picture of your face right now.
0: Get out of no, here. I'm kidding. <laughs> All
1: right, that's my opening. Thanks uh, for the
0: laughs, babe. You're yeah, right.
1: you're welcome. Uh, there was so much pressure on me to be hilarious here because I know this episode is going to be, I'm assuming, I don't know these interviews.
0: No, it's a little heavy.
1: It's a little heavy. Okay, so who's our first guest, Alex? All
0: right, we are talking to Rosalia Rivera.
1: Okay, Rosalia Rivera. But before we get to her, let's tell everyone who we are supported by.
0: We are supported by Mini Mioche. They're a premium, organic, ethically made and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. Mini Mioche believes in quality over quantity and they make the absolute best basics for your littles. I'm talking about fashionable wardrobe staples that are soft, comfy and timeless and can be passed from kid to kid regardless of gender.
1: And the kids are going to love it. You're going to love it because it's easy to get on the kids. Yes. Everything looks good in the Instagram photos. It's anything you want if you're a parent. And I don't care what you want. You're going to want this clothing.
0: Their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes. Mini Miosh is on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it. And they believe that every little bit counts. You can find the company online at mini or at mini Miosch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code ThisFamilyTree15, you're going to save 15% off your order. That's awesome. That's huge. This is available in Canada and in the U.S. Again, that is Minimiyosh.com and ThisFamilyTree15. And now let's get to our interview with Rosalia Rivera. Beautiful. How are you today? Thank you.
3: I'm great. I had a good morning so far, so... It's been
0: a good day so far. <laughs> That's good. And thank you so much for joining us this week. My husband, Shane, is typically here too, but he is directing a commercial this week. So he is off. He's so busy. So it's just me. And I'm, okay. I'm, I'm just so happy to be able to keep doing these without him. But I had to learn all the technical <laughs> stuff on my head, <laughs> which I'm not used to. Uh, but Rosalia, so I found your page searching for a professional who knew about consent because it is such an important thing and we're trying to integrate it we have a three-year-old and a a almost 11 month old and it's been something that we've been trying to integrate into our parenting now for like two years with our three-year-old but it's it's difficult to find i found really great accounts and yours stood out for that reason but what stands out to me was that you specialize in teaching parents who have been sexually assaulted or who are sexual abuse survivors how to teach their children is there a difference in the education of parents who have not
3: dealt with sexual assault and parents who have yeah well first of all i'm so excited that you you know you found me and that your kids are at such a great stage to learn this mm-hmm. um you know this was uh something that i wish i had taught my first child when they were a lot younger but you know, it is what it is. I have three. So I've had the opportunity of seeing what the difference is when they start really early. So mm. kudos to you for, you know, looking for the information in the first place. <laughs> and I'm just glad that we connected. So yeah, in terms of the the difference, you know, to your question, it, there is definitely a difference because I'm a survivor, you know, and that's why I felt equipped to be able to guide other parents who are survivors. Um, because the content can feel much more triggering to a parent who has gone through this, particularly if it was in childhood. A lot of times when parents start to teach this information, it's actually uh, the onset of the education happens because the parent is reminded of what happened to them at the sa- about the same age that the child is. So typically if it, it happened when they were six and now their child turns six, all of a sudden it like really comes to the forefront Mm -hmm. um, for many reasons, like these things just get triggered. And then as you start educating yourself, you can get overwhelmed by anxiety, fear, paranoia. You know, there's so many things that become overwhelming when you realize, oh my goodness, there's a lot to teach. And also, can I teach this? Am I going to end up telling my child about what happened to me? Am I going to teach them out of a place of fear you know, maybe it's better if I just don't bother with this right now. And I just, I teach them later when they're older. And for now, I'm just going to like restrict, you know, I'm not going to send them to daycare or I'm not going to send them to sleepovers or whatever it is, right? Also, I was raised by a survivor. My mom is a survivor, which I didn't find out until I was, uh, until she was in her seventies. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, she never disclosed. And it really helped me understand why she raised us that way, which was like Mm -hmm. really strict, really like close to, you know without giving us a lot of social engagement right and and that can be harmful in ver- a variety of ways because you're not really teaching your kids skills that they can learn to prevent abuse or to at least know how to report but also you know you're you're restricting their abilities to engage in the world right so i just didn't want to do that no
0: of course and even so i i'm not i i did not experience any abuse and coming from that perspective, you know, of not having any, you know, I'm not going to be triggered by anything. However, in prepping my questions today, I was having a hard time going through things and trying to think of what to ask you about because it's, it's so difficult. And that's, you know, the last thing you ever want to picture for your child. And I think that for a lot of parents, just putting yourself in that position and discussing these uncomfortable things is so hard. And that could be enough to deter some parents. And the reason we really started thinking about it initially was because, so I'm Polish and Russian and all my friends growing up were like Italian. It's the neighborhood we live in, right? And you know we're all second generation immigrants and everybody had their ears pierced as babies, everybody. So I just assumed, I was like, all right, so we're having our first, we're going to get our ears pierced. Like what age? Like, can we do it at two weeks? And then Shane, my husband was like, Well, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know how I feel about piercing her ears until she asks for it. What if she doesn't like them? What if she doesn't want them? And I was like, it shifted things. And Mm. then since we had that conversation, because I was not having it at first, I really wanted them done. (laughs) (laughs) But after we had that conversation, you know, a lot of things have shifted to consent and in what, what ways we can kind of teach consent. But before we get into that, I, I kind of want to talk stats if you know any offhand, but how many kids experience sexual abuse?
3: Yeah, so I mean, there's different numbers depending on what part of the world we're talking about. But in the US, the you, know, you can say one in 10 because wh- what it really breaks down to is one in four girls and one in six boys. But if we don't want to gender it, it, it's one in 10. And so if you think of a classroom of 20 kids, at least two, between two to five are, are being abused. So that, you know, that's 25%. That That's just an outrageous number. And if you look at things like peanut allergies in comparison, like the lengths that we go to, to protect kids from peanut allergies, which is a much lower number, but yet we don't talk about, you know, prevention, um, as sort of a, a normalized standard conversation, uh, you, you realize why these numbers are so high, because we're just not talking about it. That's so,
0: shocking to me that they are yeah. so high. Like, that is so shocking. And I do teach. I teach high school. Uh, and I I know, like, you know, obviously, when you are dealing with the public, when you're dealing with students, you do see these things. But I just didn't, I didn't realize the prevalence.
3: Well, and and that's actually underreported, because the the reality is that a very small percentage of children that are abused actually report. Because they don't know that they can report, they're afraid they won't be believed. They be- they believe the lies of the offender, so it's actually a very underreported crime. And when we look at this twenty five percent, we really should factor in that it's probably m- much higher than that. So I personally, from all of the research that I've done and or, or that I've read and that I've looked into, it it should be somewhere closer to fifty percent of the Jesus. population. Yeah. So then
0: how can prevention education, when we start talking to our kids about these things, how can that help? How can that arm them for the future?
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, education actually reduces the risk by 90%, which is, which is an incredible number, right? It, it should give all of us hope. Is it just because kids can recognize it? They, they understand what safe is mm-hmm. versus unsafe. And if they are given the right information, they can report it so it doesn't recur. So, it, you know, there's a solution. That's the beauty of it. But we're just not talking about it. And that's the problem. Why, why don't you
0: think like, why isn't it a part of the curriculum at school? Why aren't more parents discussing it with their kids or saying like, ding, ding, like this is something I need to chat with my child about?
3: Yeah. Ooh, that's a big question. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, th- there's, a couple of, there's a couple of reasons just to give you the sort of quick answer is that it involves talking about private parts. And there are some schools that feel that it's not their place to talk about private parts and they don't know how parents want to handle the t- you know conversation about private parts because that can open up a can of worms of like well why can't we touch private parts and what's <laughs> wrong with private parts you know and and so there isn't a unified curriculum across the country that says this is what we need to teach why we need to teach it and how we need to teach it so there are some programs that you know kind of dance around it in a sense they'll say anything that's under, you know, that's that's covered by underwear or a bathing suit, right? And so that's a really simplified way to explain it to kids. But it also doesn't really talk to the to the fact that we're afraid to talk about sex and sexuality mm-hmm. at any age. And when it comes to little kids, we're like, oh my goodness, they can't know about that. You know, some adults can't even say the word vagina, you know, without feeling uncomfortable. And so that is part of, you know, this is sort of this idea that purity culture is, is part of the reason, you know, is, is my personal opinion, but it really, I think it's, it's about schools being afraid of how to address this. And how do you talk to kids about inappropriate touches without opening up all of these other questions that they may not be prepared to answer? Yeah. And You know, but it should be because not all parents are safe parents. Unfortunately, it should be something that is taught at schools, because as much as I am excited to teach parents, not all parents want to learn it because some of them are abusers and other ones just are afraid of having the conversation, maybe because they're survivors themselves.
0: No, absolutely. And, you know, my parents were very open with things like, I don't know, they were always very loving with each other, you know, and never scared to use the proper words for things. And I still remember like the first time, and I I talked about this recently, like the first time I got my hands on um, like an an anatomy book, I guess. And, you know, looking with my girlfriends and we're like seven and looking at the penis in there and the vagina and the vulva and everything. And we're just giggling and it's So it was still a thing to be giggled at and get embarrassed about, even with my parents being open. So Shane and I are really trying to drive home the need to say those words. So Lucy knows her vulva. She knows her vagina. She recently asked about her clitoris. I don't even know how she found that. And (laughs) like everything. So we use the proper terms with her. And that's something that we've kind of been advocating for because we, and I have, I've done my own research, which is, you know, what made me want to start using those terms because that can also help decrease sexual uh, sexual abuse by by anybody, right? Because then they know what to report. They know how to report it. But what is the importance of using those words? Like not just as they're little, but as children, you know, grow up. And yeah,
3: there's well, there's there's two principal reasons. One is that it it actually will deter a predator from targeting that child if they recognize that the child's being educated in their home and is using the right terminology without shame. Because that is a weapon that they can use is shame, right? So if they know, unfortunately, for example, a lot of families that are religious are targeted because they know that they are afraid to have these kinds of conversations at home. They're not explaining what a clitoris is, right? Like that's the last thing they're going to teach their kids. They might not explain to a child what an erection is, right? These are, these are normal functions of our bodies, normal parts. Um, And so if there's any kind of shame built around it, a predator will exploit that. So, you know, if a child speaks and says, you know, they they can use that terminology, normalized without shame, that's an indication to a potential predator that that child's being educated, and they're not going to be an easy target. And so it will be a deterrent. So that's number one. Number two is that There's actually three. Because number two is that if they were ever in a situation where they were being inappropriately touched, you know, if if it had to come to court, if there was, you know, where they had to have a testimony from the child, they can with accuracy say, this is where I was touched. And that's going to give much more credibility Um, Because unfortunately for cases of children that are really young who can't verbalize or they don't know the correct parts, that can be a reason to toss a case because there's just like, well, the, the child can't really verbalize like what happened, where they were touched. So that's another reason. And then the third reason is that you want to normalize all body parts and create body positivity. So, you know, I didn't like the way that I was raised was that there was something between my legs that nobody was supposed to touch. And like my mom could not even say the word vagina. I don't, I think to this day, she's like still blushes about it. But I mean, I didn't learn about what a vulva was until I was in my twenties. Oh,
0: I twenties here too. Yes. Yeah.
3: I mean, it was like shocking. The clitoris didn't even happen until after that. So I mean, it was just like, How did I not learn this information about my own body and and actually have a lot of shame around those parts? Mm -hmm. You know, really, it's just there was so much negativity around my body, around my sexuality, like so many things. So I think from a really body positive perspective, it's important. And then as a secondary result of that, you're going to have a child who has much more positive self-image, not just body image, self-image which also is a deterrent to predators because they target children who have low self-esteem, negative self-esteem, because they can, you know, take advantage of that. So there are so many positive reasons to be teaching our kids about that. So,
0: okay, you mentioned shame. And one thing, I, I don't know how this conversation should go. Maybe you can help me model that. But, I, you know, as much as we're both trying to really instill this in our kids and just make it just so inherent in their upbringing that they don't even think twice about these things... So our three-year-old, self-exploring, okay? And I I know that she's not the only one. My friends with toddlers, you know, we share stories and it's like they're all kind (laughs) of figuring things out. And I don't know, and I always fumble about how to address, okay, you know, we are sitting out on the front lawn. Don't, maybe you shouldn't go and be exploring right now or don't put your hands for for, you know, she'll put her hand in her bum or something. And I'll say, well, you know, you can get sick. So now we have to go wash your hands and whatnot. But how do you address that in without instilling any shame?
1: Yeah.
3: So, I mean, it's such a great question because it's so common, especially for yeah. parents of toddlers. <laughs> uh, they're just learning about their bodies, right? So they're just exploring it. And and there's a couple of things. So when we're teaching about private part safety, I always tell parents, it's it's really helpful for them to know right off the bat that these parts are going to be sensitive because there's yeah. extra nerve endings there and they may feel good, right? So as you're exploring you may find that they feel good and you may want to touch those areas more often than than not. That's okay, but because they're private areas, we want to try to do this in private spaces. So the bathroom, the bedroom, uh, when we're home and there's no one else home and it's private because you, we don't have visitors. Uh, if you are on the couch watching TV and you feel like you're going to explore your body, let us know. Hey, I need a little bit of privacy <laughs> or go to, you know, your private parts of the house. Right. Because after all, these are private parts. So if we kind of head off. Then when it happens, we just remind them, right? We just want to bring those up as cues to reinforce that idea that we've already laid out to say, you know, this Mm -hmm. is totally normal, totally cool. Nothing wrong with it. I understand it feels (laughs) good. And, you know, this is a private activity. The other thing too is it particularly, you know, with girls because there is an opening, we want to make sure that we reinforce the idea of hygiene. And so, If you're going to do that, make sure that you're cleaning your hands and then that will prompt them to go, oh, okay, I'm going to go do that. And if, if I'm, you know, want to check myself out in the mirror in the bathroom, (laughs) I have some privacy, right? To do that. So it's just a matter of laying out those, those sort of rules up front and then redirecting the behavior when it happens so that you're not panicking in the moment. And it's like, you have to address it Mm-hmm. When it's not convenient to like have this whole talk, right? So you can do that when you're doing bath time or potty training or whatever you know, convenient time. You know, it can come up, and and then just make it a, a, a reinforcement. You know, those opportunities for reinforcement.
0: Okay, and you know, I assume that all of this discussion, especially when it comes to self exploration, would have an impact on rape culture would have an impact on how they eventually view, you know, sexual relationships or pornography, things like that. But how, how I can't verbalize that. So
3: is, does it have an effect? And if so, in yeah. what way? okay. Oh, big time, big time. Well, and I also want to give a side note. One of the reasons that I think it's really important for us to teach about pleasure, you know, and, and how that sensation can come up. Melissa Carnegie from Sex Positive Families, uh, I did a really wonderful presentation for my membership about the topic of pleasure. A couple of things on that is that one, when, when survivors are talking about this with their kids, it could be really triggering because our bodies will respond to pleasurable touch, right? And, and this is why I, t- I tell parents, don't teach your kids good or bad touch, teach them safe versus unsafe, because okay. that touch can feel good, right? Mm -hmm. So if we're saying that's bad, but yet it feels good, it can be really confusing. So number one, this is why I think it's so important that we teach kids about self exploration before they even start doing it or when they start doing it to address it and not pretend like it's not happening. Because also, if they are not aware that it can feel good, and someone touches them, and they haven't been taught about safe versus unsafe, they may not recognize that, that that's inappropriate. Or if they've been taught that it's bad touch and it feels good, then they're going to feel shame around that. And that predator will use it against them, right? So, it, And this has happened many times to survivors. It's not something that they openly talk about or share, but it's a, it's a very common experience. And so when they're teaching it to kids, it can be really triggering. So if we approach pleasure from a place of you know when you eat amazing food and that gives you pleasure that is a form of pleasure right mm-hmm. so there's there's all these ways that we can explain pleasure without focusing on the way that we think of masturbation and pleasure as this erotic you know experience because for kids it's not right so how we dismantle rape culture through this is because we allow kids to learn about their bodies in a shame free way right We're helping them to also develop, you know, very positive body image. And then also we are teaching them that they get to learn what feels good for them. So as they develop and eventually go off into having their own relationships, they've established how to set boundaries, what their boundaries are, what they like and don't like without having shame about their bodies And then to be able to communicate that in ways that we can't even imagine today because it's not ever been taught that way. And, and so when we have two people that can communicate, or at least one person who can communicate and say, that's not okay. Or, you know what, I like this better. That dismantles rape culture because now we are not in a position of Lacking in our own sexual power, right? And and really knowing and understanding how to verbalize and communicate what we like or don't like. And, and that establishes a totally new precedent within a relationship. Right. And you may have power dynamics of one person, like, I want to do this. And the other person's like, Well, I, I don't like that. That doesn't feel good to me. But what I do like is this. You know, that really changes the way that we interact in relationships Mm -hmm. and ultimately, you know, starts to chip away at rape culture. No, absolutely. And then
0: in regards to things like pornography, right? So I I was actually, I was speaking to somebody on a Zoom call the other day about this, and it was mostly about behavior and internet safety in the sense that, you know, how to talk to your kid about what sites are good. And, you know, if they went to a, a bad one, why it was bad but when it comes to that can knowing these things help like there's you know there's a lot of problems with pornography and trafficking is a huge issue so when it comes to that can that also kind of help kids or teens or preteens by this point recognize I, i don't even know what like how how would the two tie in
3: Yeah, I think that really where it ties in is that we are being like, it really starts with the fact that a parent is able to have that conversation, which will lead into having other conversations around sexuality and helping the child know that they don't have to have shame about these questions, that, you know, a safe person is giving them information to guide them through the different stages of their understanding and awareness around sexuality And, and to just always be a resource so that they, you know, when when you have a parent who's able to have a conversation with their kid, like, hey, it's okay for you to explore your body and and to feel pleasure. And, you know, it's, this is the safe way to do that, right? It's okay for you to, you know, like an erection is a normal function of your body and we don't want to be, you know, pulling out our penis like in the middle <laughs> of the park, right? Like so when we when we get used to having those conversations, then the rest of those pieces of sex ed fall a lot more into place as they age without shame. Like it just continues to be an open conversation. So when you get to the conversation about pornography, like my my 9-year-old understands what it is, right? It's 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 not appropriate for kids, you know, not a a real representation of what, uh, you know, consensual sexual relationships look like between adults. And, you know, if you come across it, here's what to do, right? So when, when I said, okay, my kid's going to be allowed to, you know, surf the net in, you know, safe ways, I had to let him know that, you know, this is pornography, but that was laid down because, we already had had a conversation about what reproduction is and what sex is. And, you know, my, my uh, child understands that you can have sex for pleasure and not just for procreation mm-hmm. and that it doesn't happen just between heteronormative people. Right. So like he's nine and yeah. he understands a lot more than I understood. He understands what menstruation is like when we are able to have these conversations from a really young age, then we can become slowly more and more comfortable having these conversations at they age. And that creates a safer experience for them. Like, ultimately, my goal is for my child to have positive sexual relationships that are healthy, safe and Mm -hmm. pleasurable. Right.
0: Okay, Rosalia, we are just going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we are supported by. We are supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit.
1: First and best.
0: First and best. It remains the best. It is unparalleled and it's crafted, of course, without alcohol, sugar, or calories. And Seedlip spirit solved the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever.
1: Or during this podcast, we like to keep our heads clear and sober, but we like to also stay loose. And the way we do it is with Seedlip because it does still provide relaxation.
0: Oh, it helps us kick back. And honestly, as a non-drinker, it never feels great when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. But now you can skip the boost without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. So whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every drinker. It's crafted using a bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, Spice 9 Garden 108 which we had tonight and Grow 42 are alcohol free and have their own unique flavors which pair so perfectly with just a splash of tonic but if you want to make a more complex cocktail because the ritual in that is so beautiful you can check out the Seedlip cocktail book or their Instagram account at Seedlip underscore n a So head on over to SeedLipDrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. This is available in Canada and in the U.S. And again, that is SeedLipDrinks.com and ThisFamilyTree10.
1: But we are also supported by
0: Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs makes the best nursing bras and just bras That you can get your hands on.
1: It's the only bra I recommend to all my girlfriends. (laughs) Like platonic. I mean, friends who are women.
0: Perfect, Shane. Thanks. No, but truly, I wouldn't even mind because we do like to get the word out there. And we do love supporting this company because, I mean... They support me and my puppies pretty well every day.
1: Ah, I get it.
0: Mm. You can get their nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com or you can head to the Canadian website for access to the Everyday Collection. So that is a collection of bras with no clips. These are bras for women, people that wear bras that are not nursing mothers. And you can get those at ca.bravadodesigns.com but regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for a whopping 20% off your order. So again, that is bravado and this family tree 20. And now let's get back to our interview with Rosalia. Yeah, well, even just framing the words, like instead of good touch, bad touch, because that like I remember videos from when I was in elementary school. And there there was one video. I feel like all the kids, like we're from Hamilton, and I feel like everybody watched the same one here. It was like in a park, a kid goes into one of those tunnels. And a man goes in with them and says, can you touch it? Or can I touch it? And then it's like bad touch on the screen. And then the kid runs away to tell an adult. But that's the only way I kind of knew how to frame, you know, something like that. And I think framing it as safe or unsafe is so perfect because it does fit in with consent. And that is something that you can look at whether you are, you know, a toddler or a 32-year-old. Like, I think I think that is so wonderful. And, you know, when we're talking about how to kind of instill consent in younger kids, I was hoping you could touch on boundaries around hugging, kissing, tickling, especially when it comes to relatives, because I know that can be tough conversations for parents like and it can be hard for grandparents or whoever to, you know, maybe not get a hug from their grandchild.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I I just want to, I'm going to answer that in a second, but I just want to give a side note about that video that you watched. There's this this misinformation, this myth that stranger danger is still like the thing that you need to teach your kids Mm -hmm. about, but that's only 10% of how abuse happens. 10%. Yeah. 90% actually happens by people that the child or the family knows and trusts. So the, you know, again, this is why, like bad touch can feel bad from a stranger, but it could feel good from someone that you know that you have a great relationship with. Right. And, and someone that you feel good about. So I just wanted to, to put that in. (laughs) Yeah. And, and so to answer your question, I think that what we need to look back at is how we think about children's rights. And, and when I teach consent, I always go back to this fundamental principle of honoring children's rights and teaching them about their autonomy because they will eventually become adults who want to have autonomy. And I think this is why parents tend to bud heads when kids become teenagers and kids are, you know, they become teens and they're like, screw this. Like you've been (laughs) telling me what to do my whole life. Like I'm doing what I want now. Yeah. Uh, And and if we can actually head that off and prevent that budding of heads, if we learn how to honor our kids' body boundaries, uh, physical boundaries in general, and the way that that begins is by thinking about what is in my day-to-day of that we do where I'm really dictating to my child what to do versus what I think would be helpful for them to do that I suggest to do. I mean, obviously, there's some situations where it's a health and safety matter, and we have to override their consent about things. But there's lots of situations where we don't have to, and we... we really just impose our Mm -hmm. will on them. Right. And we say, you know, you have to eat everything on your plate or (laughs) you're not going to get blah, blah, blah. And your body belongs to you. Don't let anybody touch you. Right. But like at the same time, we're constantly telling them what to do. And so we're really confusing them with these mixed messages. So when it comes to things like hugs and kisses, I mean, that's a really easy one for most parents. Right. They're like, I'm not going to force my child. So I'm practicing consent. But then like you're also forcing them to wear what you want them to wear, right, instead of letting them choose what they want to wear. Maybe they're going to go in a tutu and you're like uncomfortable because what are people going to say? Are they going to judge me? Are they going to make fun of my child or, you know, whatever it is, right? (laughs) But you're still imposing your will on their body Mm -hmm. by telling them this is what you have to wear, now, again, some people might be like, well, what if it's freezing outside and they want to wear shorts? Well, get, open the window and let them feel how cold it is. Do you really want to wear shorts in that weather? They can still make that choice. Maybe you pack some warm clothes in a backpack because you know they're going to realize quickly, right? But you've allowed them to have that autonomy mm-hmm. and learn how to become critical thinkers in the process, right? So foundationally, it has to start with us recognizing where are we really honoring their own body boundaries and where are we imposing where we don't need to, right? Again, aside from health and safety, like you want to hold your kid when they're crossing the street. If they don't know how to cross the street, you got to override their consent in those situations. But outside of that, like how can we really honor our kids' body boundaries, right? And then when it comes to relatives with hugs and kisses and things like that, what I always say to parents is, have the conversation ahead of time, call up your, your family member or send them an email or write them a letter. Um, I actually created consent letters for this reason because I That's knew amazing. it was so hard. Yeah. It's it's, it's, so, it's so hard to communicate. And it's like, especially if you're culturally like it's old school and they, you know, it's like, Oh, it's always, you know, it's tradition for you to like hug your grandparents. And like, if they Kisses don't they're everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Uh-huh. So And this is where I say, you know, just talk to them openly and honestly and say, look, we're practicing consent. I know this is going to feel weird initially, but we really want your support on this because it's ultimately about our kids' health and safety. And it's not to say that they're not going to want to hug you. But if they don't, it's just in that moment. It doesn't mean that they don't love you. Right. It doesn't mean that they are going to be like this for the rest of their life. It's just, we need your help to honor this practice because it's for their safety. And the more that they can vocalize a yes and a no, the more practice that they get to to have that kind of response with anyone, right? And really our kid's safety is like what the priority is here. So if you can take your ego out of it, you know, depending on who you're talking to, right? You may have to say like, this isn't about you. This is about our child's safety. And we really want your support. You know, we're, we're calling you in. We're not calling you out. And so if you if you approach it, a lot of it has to do with how you approach it. And if you come at it from a place of, you know, asking for that support and just at least giving it a try, you know, and, and then recognizing, like letting your child know this is what we're going to do from now on. You have the right to, to choose how you greet someone. It doesn't have to be, you know, you don't. And besides that, like another thing you can tell them is, do you really want a kiss or a hug that's forced that's, that's out of guilt? Like, is that really what you want? You know, some people might say yes, they don't care. (laughs) Most of the time, they'll say, well, you know, you got a point there, like, I'd rather it be genuine, right? I'd rather it come from a a place of wanting to hug me and not having to hug me see i wish
0: i had found your letters before i went through that conversation with all the grandparents so we have six grandparents in my family because my husband's parents are split and have been remarried so there's six and i think i i feel i made everybody feel demonized like, I just did it wrong. I was like, uh, no, we're practicing consent. She can say no if she wants to. And it was just so bad. And I got so embarrassed of it afterward. And you know, it's still embarrassing. Like, I cringe thinking about it. And, and there's definitely a way. And I think the way you described it as asking them for their support in this rather than just saying that. Because then putting my myself in my mother's perspective or my dad's perspective, like, that was probably hurtful. And uh, that's the last thing you want to do, especially on top of the fact that your toddler might not want to give him a hug. So (laughs) I think that's good. Uh, Yeah. And now, so moving on kind of, you know, a lot of stuff is online. And this is something I want to touch on, because a lot of child predation happens online. There's a lot of I know it's like, you know, dark web stuff, but all of that comes from somewhere, whether it's somebody making child abuse videos or whether it's people getting, I guess, content for free off of people who are putting it out there willingly. I put photos of my family online. I'm far from the only one. Should I stop? Is this okay? Is there a way to do this safely?
3: Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great question. (laughs) You got so many good questions. <laughs> so here, here's the thing: the the less private information that you can share about your family, the better. Particularly, you know, any images where your child is bathing, they're at the beach. There's there's any kind of sort of quote unquote revealing, you know, images, and especially if you're using hashtags to go with that, because I'm, the truth is that there are predators who are mining this kind of content to use on dark websites if you have any information that points to where you live you know if there is a school crescent or if there is like uh, somewhere in the background that has very identifiable location markers or landmarks i would stay away from photos like that personally i'm myself i don't put any pictures of my children online you know, you can send those through the internet through, you know, email or messenger for more privacy. If you feel like, well, I want my friends to see it, well, then create like a personal group. Mm-hmm. But even then, like, how do you know that every single person on there is safe, right? So for yes. me, it's like, I only send photos to people that I feel safe about. And so, you know, but that there's a lot of people who are like, well, my, my account is private. So that should be enough, right? Yeah, how private is it really, though? You know, and that's the other question that I always ask. Like, do you know every single person? Because here's the thing 90% of abuse, right, happens by people you know and trust. And out of that 90%, 40% are family members. You know, these are just numbers that people don't want to look at because that's a hard reality, right? It's 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 possible that someone who is in your family circle or friend circle is not a safe person. And for parents who are single, for example, I always say even like when you're dating, don't put pictures of your kids online on dating sites because there are predators that are specifically looking to target parents who are dating, who are single, who have kids because that isn't like. Oh, my God. You, this, and this is true. If, if you look at um, the Child Rescue Coalition website, they have a blog and they have shown excerpts of predator manuals. And these are manuals that are created in these dark web communities by predators who share with others how to access kids. And in there, it says, like, look for parents who are, you know, dating so that that's an easy way to access kids. Right. So when I you know, I don't say it lightly to shut people down Mm. and to like the pants off of them, but to say, like, let's just be more conscious of where our kids photos are. And what information is available about them, Where what school they go to, where, you know, even things like if your kids are teens or tweens and you're sharing a lot of content about what they like, what they don't like. Guess what? There are predators who can mine your information on your account and then use that information to groom your child if they're targeting them directly. Right. So why why put all of that at risk when it's not you know when you don't really have to so that you know that's my answer to that and i don't i know that that makes a lot of parents uncomfortable because they want to keep sharing i just say try to do it as safely as you possibly mm-hmm. can if you insist on continuing to share images of your kids
0: see that's scary and honestly i didn't even think of the online dating thing i didn't even think of that but of course you know you always you hear stories, whether it's in media or friends of friends, whatever, of, you know, divorced parents, maybe a boyfriend moves in, is abusive in some way, whether sexual, physical, whatever. And of course, the internet makes everything so easy. So it makes so much sense that that would be kind of a natural progression for things to happen. But that is that is so scary. So should should women then that are single and that are dating and that are parents – should they be saying that they have kids at all? Like when, when do you
3: tell somebody? Online? Yeah, I mean, I think that you you want to be transparent about the fact that you're a parent. So you can yeah. just say I'm a parent, period. Right. And I, I actually did a uh, talk with I think her account is single black motherhood. You know, I had shared this statistic. I can't remember off the top of my head what it was, but you know, they are one of the higher targeted uh, demographics, right? Parents who are single and are dating. And so uh, one of the things that I had mentioned to her is when when you're filling out your profile for your dating, you know, app, just try to limit as much about your family as possible. Don't put ages, don't put the gender of your child. If you can avoid putting a picture of your child altogether, you know, let's just limit that because what you're going to find is that if somebody you know, suddenly starts to want to date you or whatever, and then they over time are starting to show an increased interest in your child. That's a red flag. You, they shouldn't be like, overtly interested, they shouldn't be volunteering to babysit or to pick up your child anytime that they are trying to get one on one access with your child. And you don't fully know them very well, like, you know, you've been dating them three to six months and they're suddenly like, hey, I can pick up your child or I can, you know, take them here. or I can do some babysitting if you need to go grocery shopping. Red flag if it starts to become an increasing situation. So, you know, learn the red flags of grooming. If you are a parent um, that is single, that's one of the most critical things that you can do is learn about grooming signs so that you can start to spot them and give you information about what, you know, do I continue this relationship or not? So speaking of grooming, what is love bombing? Yeah, so love bombing is a strategy that a lot of traffickers will tend to use, particularly with teens and tweens, um, but even with adults. And essentially what it is, is this excessive, you know, love pouring, basically, which is really grooming, which is sort of like grooming uh, 2.0. It's like, you know, giving you gifts, uh, you know, lots of compliments, trying to uh, really just overpour, you know, the the affection, the attention. A lot of times, you know, they will target teenagers who have very low self-esteem, as I mentioned before. So they will do things like, you know, constantly compliment, give gifts, you know, find ways that they can really make that person feel extra special, go above and beyond the norm to show their, you know, devotion. And this is all for two reasons. One is to guilt them into, you know, doing something in exchange, right, in return for that love bombing. Um, And two is to really accelerate the process of trust, right? So they're really working to gain their trust and ingratiate themselves so that they can much quicker, you know, get to the abuse part. So that's a term that is typically used with traffickers that try to you know gain gain access to a victim
0: this see
3: and this is
0: i think the part that i was having the hardest time to prepare for just because it's it's so scary it's so scary um and now what is normal versus concerning behavior if you have a kid and you are suspecting that they have been abused or that they are being abused.
3: Yeah. I just want to side note what you said about it being really mm. scary. It definitely is. When you start to learn about this stuff, it can feel yeah. overwhelming. And, and, you know, particularly for, for survivors, it can be triggering, but I think for mm-hmm. any parent, it's just like, Oh my God, I don't want to send my child out into the world ever. <laughs> right. It's like, I'm just going <laughs> to yeah. lock the door. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing again, 90% of this can be, the risk can be reduced by education, right? So the more that the more we can be proactive. I always say be proactive instead of reactive. So the more that you know, the more action you can take, right? That's why we needed you here, Rosalia, to illuminate yeah. all of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm here for it. So thank you. Good. But yeah, so the the things that you need to look out for, it really depends on the age of your child. But if you notice that there is suddenly your child's, you know, sort of exuberance joy, all of a sudden seems muted, right? And they aren't as excited you know, about life, there's something there, right? Um, the other thing is there could be a change in appetite. That seems to be uh, something that sort of happens next is like they're just not as hungry anymore. They're maybe a little bit more lethargic or quiet. Another sign is that maybe they are starting to exhibit or talk about things that are way beyond their, you know, their age of understanding when it comes to sexuality, right? So if you notice that they're playing with dolls in a very sexualized way, if they are just using words or language that is like you haven't taught them that, that's definitely a sign. For older children, it could be that they are starting to have um, nightmares or night terrors. Um, That one is a little tricky because you could have a child that's just having that as part of their growing up experience because they're afraid of the dark or like they saw a scary movie. So, but if you see that as a pattern that is really, you know, ongoing and it's over time, like, not normal, they're not really watching stuff that they should be afraid of, then that could be another reason. Bedwetting is also another one when it's past the time that they, you know, have outgrown that and they're suddenly bedwetting. And then for older kids, it could be also self harm, right? So if they're starting to cut themselves, or if they're doing things that, you know, maybe they're starting to drink or smoke, uh, doing things that are, you know, obviously beyond their age, and is self harm type behavior then those are definitely red flags of possible abuse. For younger kids also physical signs, right? So if there are rashes in those areas that that shouldn't be, there are excessive urinary tract infections, you know, st- wanting to touch other people's private parts suddenly and it, you know that they know better than that, you know, that's definitely a red flag. So there's a, there's a combination of behaviors but it also depends on their age. So you know, if, if any of those along with your own sixth sense, which I always encourage parents to listen to, then, you know, you, you definitely want to take them to a pediatrician, start to have more conversations, um, you know, ask more questions, open-ended questions, remind them that you're a safe person to talk to, you know, start to work to open up those dialogues and mm-hmm. see what, what you can get them to talk about. And if a kid was to disclose something... How do you handle that as
0: a parent? Because I can only imagine all of the thoughts that would be running through your head, the feeling of, you know, your heart dropping in the pit of your stomach, the dread, the anger at yourself for allowing something to happen. And I, I feel like it would be really hard to hold it together and have an appropriate reaction. So what, what could that look like?
3: Yeah. So, well, first of all, take a breath because that's going to hit you like a ton of bricks. So – You don't want to respond out of panic and fear. You want to, you know, take some measured responses because what typically happens is that a child is not going to disclose everything. They're going to give you a little piece of information to see how you deal with it. Typically because a offender may have threatened them, or they don't want to get that person in trouble. You know, again, 90% right happens by people you know, and trust. So they may have a great relationship with Uncle Tom, or they may have a, you know, great relationship with their, you know, friend up the block, because, you know, child on child abuse is also another situation, right? It could be with an older sibling that lives in the home. So there's, there's a lot of factors why they won't disclose all of it at once, and they're just giving you a piece of information. And so, the way that you respond is going to be really critical for them to be able to continue opening up and share everything. Um, so, take a deep breath, and you know, find a way to ground yourself in that moment. And first of all, you know, thank them for their courage to be able to share something like that. Uh, remind them that they did the right thing. That this is, you know, this was really courageous and brave. Thank you for you know telling me you did the right thing. I'm going to make sure that this doesn't happen again and that you stay safe. You do not want to talk about the offender. You don't want to say, I'm going to make sure that he goes to jail or I'm going to kill him or, you know, because that will inhibit the child from telling more details, particularly if they have a good relationship with that person. They don't want to necessarily get them in trouble. They just want that situation to stop. So, you know, don't, don't talk about that person unless they ask you, and then you can ask more open-ended questions. So what happened? What would you like? What else would you like to tell me? Is there anything else that you want to share? You don't want to ask leading questions like, you know, did he touch you here or did this happen? You want them to try to open up and share what they're comfortable sharing and just give them that security that you're going to keep them safe. That's not going to happen anymore. They did the right thing and you're very proud of them. And then make sure that you're getting the support that you need as a parent um, through counseling and then, you know, take the next steps of reporting it, of getting a counselor for your child involved, Mm -hmm. what, you know, depending on the age, it may be play therapy or counseling, talk therapy, Um, you know, take those next steps to determine like what you want to do next based on what happened. Mm -hmm.
0: I don't know if you've seen it, uh, the, it's a new doc that came out or maybe it came out a while ago. I don't know. Pharaoh versus Allen about Woody Allen. I haven't watched it yet, but yeah. So much of this conversation is just like, we watched it like a month ago and it's just like, it's harrowing. I, uh, I feel so bad for what happened. In that, and it's just like all of the things that we're talking about, you know, kind of happen in that movie. So, if anybody's interested that's listening uh, to kind of see all this in action and listen to a survivor speak on it, I I'd suggest doing that. And Rosalia, you have been so incredible, and I thank you so much. You're so full of knowledge. You spoke about a membership, and you have a membership. Where can listeners go to find this? What does a membership entail?
3: Yeah, so it's it's a membership for parents who are survivors. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that if you're not a survivor, you can't join, but it is a uh, custom built for that experience but it's essentially a program that has many of my courses and workshops and guidance and support and community. So it's uh, a program that, you know, you, you join month by month and decide if, you know, you're ready to like take on this topic with guided support. Mm -hmm. But I also have other programs too. Like I have a prepare to prevent program, which is specifically for kids who are going to be going into daycare camp or preschool for the first time. And so it's an eight week, group program for parents to get ready to prepare them so that they're going in to a safe, like, you know, into a safe learning and play experience. And then I just have workshops, you know, that anyone can get at any time. They're, you know, instant access so that you can just learn some of these basics and have some tools and resources to actually start implementing. So it's not just information, but it's actionable, like an action plan that you can just start to put in place. And where can people find these online and your socials? Yeah, so you can go to consentparenting.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, all, of the, all of the goods are there. I have a podcast as well. And then I also have a clothing line called Consent Wear, which is for kids, teens and adults to create consent culture. So all of that consent parenting.
0: That's awesome. No, truly, thank you so much. I think this was such a great conversation. And I really appreciate you being here today. And before I leave, I love your wallpaper. This has been one of my favorite things about Zoom calls. I get to snoop other people's houses and get ideas. But thank you. <laughs> yeah, but Rosalie, it's I'm all been, about the polka dots. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. But it's been so nice to chat with you and to meet you. So again, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
1: Good interview, Alex.
0: Thank you. I'm,
1: I didn't listen to it. I don't know.
0: You haven't listened to it yet?
1: It's bit. been I, oh, I just did the intro
0: i know i know sorry <laughs> you
1: no know, i'm assuming it was good you are always good and you always tell me how much better things are when i'm not no, around
0: well i try to make you feel bad but
1: it works uh, it works
0: this one i i do think i handled well just because it was
1: handled good alex i'm kidding it was so easy
0: to you know you do i think as a parent just have so many questions about this so i think whether you or I had sat in on this one, it would have been great. And again, it didn't matter how I was cuz she was so great. And uh that really that really made it.
1: Very true. Now, let's get to our next interview, which is
0: whom again? All right. So, we are talking to or I am talking to Alana Kayfetz of Mom Halo.
1: Oh, I'm a she nominated us for Podcast of the Year, did she not?
0: Uh well, somebody nominated us and oh. she told us we got nominated.
1: But through her organization, yeah. that was the yeah, yeah. so I uh I personally love this woman. Yeah. No, she's a, she's a great supporter actually. I really do. Yeah, she's uh, awesome. Appreciate that, but before we get to this interview, let's tell everyone who we are supported by.
0: We are supported by Mabel's Labels. Frustrated by their children's things getting lost, mixed up and leaving home never to return, Julie Cole and three other mom friends knew they could do better than just scribbling their kids' names on masking tape. From there, Mabel's Labels has grown to be an award-winning, market-leading company loved by moms, dads, kids, caregivers, teachers, everybody alike. And us. And us. We love Mabel's Labels. Shane, what's your favorite thing about Mabel's Labels? Well,
1: I'm a loser. I lose things. I've been losing things my whole life. And just (laughs) to know that we're instilling the habits of check your label, make sure that's yours before you leave, it's instilling great habits and... They look awesome, so the kids actually are incentivized to be responsible.
0: Yes, especially because you can design your own labels online. You can get your kids to help, and they really start taking ownership.
1: But the fact that it's indestructible is actually my favorite thing.
0: Oh, my gosh. So these labels are like Shane said, indestructible. They're laundry, dishwasher, and microwave safe and 100% guaranteed. Their line features baby bottle labels, allergy and medical alert products, sports labels, household labels, and seasonal items. We just got a camp care package for the girls, which is, I mean, they're not going to camp this summer, but we are going to be using it at the cottage. And I mean- They're not going to be stealing each other's goggles.
1: And we probably shouldn't say indestructible. I'm sure there is a way to destroy (laughs) them, but we will say it's pretty darn hard. And if you do, they will replace them.
0: Absolutely. So head on over to MablesLabels.ca to start creating your very own labels today. And use the promo code ThisFamilyTree15 for 15% off your order. They deliver internationally and offer free standard shipping in Canada and in the U.S. Again, that's MablesLabels.ca and ThisFamilyTree15. And now let's get to our interview with Atlanta K. Fets. Okay, Shane is filming a commercial shoot this week, so it is just me. So I'm just learning all the uh, technical stuff myself. So I was here like 20 minutes early, trying to get trying to get everything down and not fuck it up. But
2: got it. No worries at all. So is it a problem that I still have a cocktail on my desk and I'm like I should drink? I should drink this. I should I drink this
0: right? You should. I'm like oh, it's only it's one. No. It's afternoon.
2: I know I'm trying not to drink every day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know they say, I know they say that, you know, it's not a good therapist and you shouldn't self-medicate like that, but it is helpful. I mean, no,
2: like I totally don't. I say, I say you do, you do, you do you, babe. Like whatever works for you, you do. You know, I feel like Will Smith. I feel like, (laughs) oh, I like woke up one day. I'm like, oh, I'm in the worst shape of my life.
0: Yeah. Maybe
2: I should do something about this. That's I said to my husband, I was like, maybe for 30 days, we will try to not drink.
0: Well, you know, Shane and I flip flop on that all the time. So we drink, we have one night a week, like when we report, record our podcast on Saturday night and we drink seed lip. Yeah. Have you ever heard of that? Mm-mm. So it's no, a non-alcoholic tummy. spirit. So they distill it like a real spirit, like gin or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's non-alcoholic, no calories, nothing. And you just mix it with right. tonic and it tastes like you're drinking a fancy drink. And it's okay, like, nice. Okay. And you have the ritual of making something nice,
2: but oh, yeah. it's good. I'm all about ritual. I I, I used to smoke cigarettes and I love ritual. Like for me, it was like opening the pack and taking the cigarette out and bringing it to my lips and like lighting it. It was the ritual. You know, I totally, I get it. We just
0: got into absinthe and talk about ritual. That's like a huge ritual. And we're loving that. Like we just bought a bottle last week and we're like, okay, this will take us a year to get through because it's absinthe. Huh. But we've already had like three absinthe nights this week. And it's been lovely.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There's something about cocktailing, right? There's something about the glass and, you know, the ice cube. Oh, that's an ice cube. That's an ice cube. And there's something about this. And there's something about the garnish. I literally have this on my desk, by the way. This is amazing. You're set. See, you're set. There's something about it.
0: You know, talking about stress management and having cocktails at the desk, this has been a hell of a year for everybody, Alana. And it's been a hell of a year for you more than most, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny. So 2020 started off with the two of us kind of in the same boat. We were both pregnant in a pandemic. And I got to say, I didn't mind that at all. Like, too much? I miss Shane being there for the big moments, like the ultrasounds and things. But I didn't mind the no visitors and things. I liked the piece. But what – like, did you like that experience? Did you hate it? What was that like for you?
2: Yeah, the early days were fine. Some things were a little bit weird. And, oh, my God, I'm like, oh, yeah, right. I was pregnant during this pandemic. I've had so much happen. (laughs) Yeah. I actually thought, Alex, having a baby during the global pandemic, going from a family of four to five, was gonna be the biggest thing I've ever done. Little did I know <laughs> all the other shit that was in store for me. And the story unfolds as such. So when I think back to being pregnant and having my child, I think our kids are a day apart. Like they mm-hmm. are very close in oh, age. Oh, yeah,
0: absolutely.
2: Uh, you know, and rounding the year with this, I just obviously can't believe how fast it has gone. But also, my desk, I have my five year old's ultrasound, and I can't believe they're just turning five. So, you know, these things are flying by as much as they're sort of crawling, which is the beauty of motherhood. But yeah, I mean, when I first had Henry, you're right. I didn't miss the, um, the, all the people's coming by. And I, my stories are this, when Elias was born, my first in 2016, the day he was born at home, the next day, uh, 25 people were in my house Jeez. the next oh day. See, that's, that's and I didn't nightmare. know the, di- yeah, I didn't know the difference. And I was like, oh yeah, this is totally fine. Cause I like, Pass the baby around, a million people. When Essa was born in 2018, she was when she was born. I had so many midwives and so many people in my room while I was birthing. When Essa was born, she was the 10th person in the room. Yeah. That
0: was 10th person. (laughs) Wait, did you I I gotta pause this for a second? Did you not feel? like you were like putting on a show? Like, did you feel under pressure at all in that regard?
2: No, no, no. So who was in the birth when Esther was there was my first midwife, second bad midwife, student midwife, my husband, myself, that's five, okay? Oh my God. Then my sister was there. My mom was there. My nanny was there. My dad was there. Not in the room, but like physically in the house. And then Esther showed up, she was the 10th. Not to mention Elias was sleeping next door, my toddler at the oh time. Oh my gosh. So when Esther showed up, she was the 12th person or 10th person. Now when Henry was born, it was like literally like bare bones, nobody here, mm-hmm. you know, birthing at home. I'm not sure your birth story was, but like Henry came pretty fast and furious, but it was like uneventful, like totally mm-hmm. textbook uh, midwifery birth. And delivery, and little did we know he was totally sick, and we had no idea. And maybe, and just maybe, if it wasn't the pandemic, and maybe, just maybe, if we were in a hospital, we would have determined all of these things much sooner in Henry's journey. As you said, I didn't miss the people.
0: Yeah. So I didn't miss the people. No, I I never do. I I I quite liked the piece, but you know, talking about Henry's birth. So, how do you pronounce it, Meyer, Mirror? Meyer,
2: Myri. Myri syndrome. Okay. So is that
0: something that you can detect in utero? No, no,
2: no, no. It's a brand new. I mean, I'm even saying no, I don't even know the answer. As I'm saying, I'm like, (laughs) no, no, I don't know. I know this. I know that I'm 30, I'm turning 38 this year. Mm-hmm. So I've had my kids a little bit later in life. I have three kids before I'm 38. And when we after having Essa at 36 or 35, I was like, if we ever get pregnant again, I'm gonna have to do the entire like I'm my eggs are geriatric. So yeah. I have to do the whole array of genetic tests. And if I told you Alex, I paid for every fucking test that exists, every genetic test. And I can't when I think about those things, I even feel guilty saying them. But Matt and I sort of said, like, okay, we can handle a third kid you know, a totally healthy, normal kid. Like that was sort of like three kids who are totally healthy, we can do. And, you know, this particular genetic syndrome is a mutation of a particular gene that only Henry has. It was not detected in me, it was not detected in Matt. And they didn't even know about it. And it wasn't, and for the longer the short of the story is we had a very long hospital admission because of Henry's heart, mm-hmm. which required several open heart surgeries. And it was a very extended stay. Where there were some maybe pointing to like, oh, maybe there's a genetic issue here. And then obviously genetics is sort of a hunt, right? You have to look through all of the genomes to see it. And it happened to be that a series of sort of hints hinted at this particular genetic syndrome, but only 200 people in the world have it and only six people in Canada have it. So as a result, they didn't really know what they were seeing, but we saw certain things that sort of said cause pause, but no one thought that they were a big deal. Yeah. And it wasn't until the genetic team was like, hey, we found this paper of research on this particular genetic disorder. Henry doesn't have all the markers. He has some of them, but the baby just kind of looks like Henry. And we we're like, okay, cool, cool. Never thought anything of it. And then many, many, many weeks after discharge, we were discharged on February 26th after being there since December 7th at sick kids hospital for his a series of cardiac surgeries. And then we came home, we had to go back to hospital for a variety of reasons. Anyways, lo and behold, March 1st. I'm like, yes, March 1st is going to be my January 1st. Like I was like, as a business owner, I'm like, I lost my whole quarter, mm-hmm. but we are going to show up on, on, on March 1st. And then three weeks into, into March, we got COVID my entire family.
0: Day- like a school?
2: Daycare. So yeah. what happened was we knew Henry was coming home from hospital. I pulled my older kid from public school and I started my daughter Esther's two and a half into a daycare that had an extended gene junior kindergarten program. So they would be together. And there's only 40 families in the school. So I felt very comfortable and protected by that. I was like, well, then our bubble will be really small and they'll be out of the house so we can focus on Henry. That was it. And we hadn't gotten to COVID and not, no COVID scares at all. I didn't even know anyone with COVID. And we had lived at the hospital. And at that point, the variant of concern sort of entered Canada and it was so, so contagious. And somebody in the daycare obviously got it, got my two kids sick. And within six weeks of being discharged from sick kids, my entire family got COVID, all five of us, and my nanny and my sister and my parents, my entire bubble. So from 22 cases at daycare, my kids were two of the 14 children who got it, brought it home and we all got it. So I still don't sound 100% like myself, but beside that, literally Alex, We've just, it's too much for me to even talk about because my Mm -hmm. head is spinning, but like hospital, multiple life, life life-threatening surgeries, coming home, things looking very like, this is the end of the road for us. Henry having some feeding issues, like requiring a feeding tube and stuff like that, which is hugely detrimental to our daily life. Um, But we're doing it. Mm -hmm. Getting COVID, recovering from COVID in April, finding out that he has this rare genetic disorder.
0: So This it's a whirlwind. It's hard for me to even to get my head around. I've been following your story really since it's been happening because I was following your pregnancy, knowing that you and I are pregnant at the same time. You know, it's always nice, especially during a pandemic, to kind of befriend somebody just in your mind, even online and kind of go through things together. And I always find a little comfort in that. And then when you guys started, you know, having to go to the hospital with Henry's heart problems. My heart was just breaking. So, if we can kind of go back to that, how did yeah. that start? Because you know, for both of my pregnancies, so I have lupus, and I was getting tested every two weeks. I was getting um, prenatal echocardiograms to check that the girl's heart development was okay, and they thought Lucy had coarctation of the aorta. So we were at Sick Kids for mm-hmm. a bit. Turned out to be fine, but we were prepping for open heart surgeries immediately mm-hmm. immediately after birth. Luckily, we didn't have to go through that, uh, but. When did you realize with Henry that he had a heart problem? Something was up. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So we had Henry at home and when Henry was born, he came pretty normal, but he kind of, he didn't look like my other kids. Mm-hmm. He just like, we were like, oh, he looks like Elias. Does he look like Asa? Who does this kid look like? We're like, oh, he just looks like Henry, Like he looks like nobody. <laughs> yeah. And he had some issues like with feeding, but all of my kids had issues latching. All of my kids had issues breastfeeding and like the level of precision it took to get Henry to latch and to nurse him was so extreme and then every time that I would nurse him at the almost every day he was having pukes and I don't mean like a little puke I mean projectile vomiting right. and everyone was just like it's just normal but there was no one for me to even you know Alex you say that I would that's one thing that covid really robbed from me is like taking Henry and seeing him against another baby his age and stage to be like oh he is sick like he he was sick he looked sick and no one saw it because we were so busy with our other families and trying to live through covid that it was caught late so it's funny you say that, Alex, because Henry had a coarctation of the aorta. That Did was exact, he? exact, exact issue. Oh my he also God. had something called a PDA ligation. So he had two issues in his heart. The heart is extraordinarily complex. One in 100 children have some sort of congenital heart defect at birth. So these guys are constantly doing heart surgeries. They're amazing, the surgeons. But when you said that I got shivers, because that's exactly the same thing that Henry was diagnosed with. And we didn't discover till he was four and a half months. But like you, most people find out about these coarctations or defects in utero, and the surgery happens within five days to a week of their life, sometimes immediately, because they will die without it. Of course. So Henry yeah. walked around, Henry walked around like Betty for four and a half months with a coarctation of his aorta. Basically, he was a zombie, he was walking dead. It, it was unbelievable to me when we discovered it and the doctors would say to me, and it wasn't until my physician, my pediatric, um, my peds doctor, Dina Kulik, who's also a friend of mine saw Henry at his four and a half month checkup. and was like, there is a very large, large, loud heart murmur. I think you need to see somebody in cardiology. And I was like, oh, we're just going for like a retamp routine checkup. Yeah. And it wasn't until after that heart murmur finding that I was like, oh, I didn't think anything of it until she's like, we need to get you in as soon as possible, like to a cardiologist. So you can, so we can see the heart. And I remember going to the cardiologist and they're looking at me, right? And I don't love doctors, okay? I had all three kids at home. I don't really trust the medicine mm-hmm. system. And the cardiologist looks at me and he's like, does he always look like this? I'm like, look like what? And he's like, is this breathing always like this? I'm like, breathing like what?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: They're like,
2: hmm. And does he always do A, B, and C and everything they were saying to probe me? I was like, I, I don't see anything wrong with this child because I was so completely unaware of what a sick child looked like, because the thing with, with the coarctation of the aorta, it's usually caught right away. And those surgeries yeah. happen right away. And I would have had a very different trajectory. So I had a bunch of ultrasounds and I'll tell you, Alex, what happened was I had at 20 weeks, 22, 24 and 26, because they couldn't get a clear photo of the heart. Oh, man. And the last doctor wrote it off saying like, look, just make sure someone listens to his heart when he's born. We can't get a 100% clear photo, but let's just write it off. So it was in that moment that there wasn't any further investigation because of COVID, like no one wanted to push, no one wanted to do more. So, you know, and in those early days, like those first week or two, when I was going to see Dina or seeing my lactation consultant or the midwives were seeing him, it just seemed to be chalked up to just like severe eating issues when it came to inability to hold down food and to grow. Little did we know that he has this severe genetic disorder in the background that we just obviously discovered recently, but that's what happened. So that's how it came to be. So when you said co of the aorta, yeah. I got shivers because that is what Henry has a scar from here to here on his front and one on his back because they attempted to fix it once through the back because the recovery was very short and they missed it. So they had to do an additional surgery. Now it's very common for cardiac kids to have a variety of surgeries as a mom with three children and your first child having a heart surgery and someone telling you, well, like these things happen. And sometimes you have to, you just do it. You don't say, Oh no, we're not going to do the heart surgery. You just do it. So you show up, you do the heart surgery. They say, it didn't work. We got to do another one, but this time we're going to open heart and he's going to go on a heart bypass machine. It's like, it's too much for the human soul to even endure what we had to go through.
0: I can only relate in the sense that when we, when we were told that Lucy had coarctation of the aorta because of my lupus, then, you know, we were prepping, we were doing a ton of research. I was like in tears every night, but like we were mentally preparing for the fact that she was going to have to have open heart surgery within the first 48 hours. And then it it was just, it was a lot to go through. And I I was a mess for like a month and a half. I was a mess. And it wasn't until uh, a week or two weeks before I gave birth that they got another picture On the echocardiogram and they're like actually she doesn't it just looked like this for you know reasons a b and c and the amount that i went through just in prep in and not even having my child there yet like henry being four and a half months old what was the process like for you upon learning that he had a heart murmur upon learning that he needed heart surgery yeah and like what kind of stages did you go through there
2: Yeah, I mean, I didn't have time to think, right? When I'm I'm trying to explain the the cadence of events because I know a lot of women prepare, right? They have like it sucks, right? Getting these sort of diagnosis as you experience, it fucking sucks. It's a blow to your body, it's blow to your imagination, it's mourning, really a mourning of like the loss of what this child could or couldn't be, or what limiting things will this have for your kid, right? Mm. So like I didn't have chance. He was diagnosed on the Thursday. Thursday they found the murmur, the following Wednesday they found they they said he has a coarctation. That day I was rushed to sick kids. I thought they were going to do emergency surgery right then. They told me we're going to bring you back next week. So I had two and a half weeks from learning about mm-hmm. the murmur to the first operation to being now a sick kids family for life. So you know, it was a rude awakening. And to be honest, honest, Alex, like you and I are talking about this and I'm still processing. I have a yeah. call with my therapist right after this. <laughs> special- I've never spoken to therapists in my life. I started with this woman who specializes in an illness and grief and death mm-hmm. and infant loss and child loss. And she is a sick kid's like psychologist. Cause I needed someone to talk to. I've never spoken to anybody about this stuff before. And it was just like, at the time I was grappling with like, Oh my God, like I'm just living this like hospital existence, you know, being in a crisis. So like, What's interesting about that crisis moment that you're like, that's the name I'm giving it is like, I was in crisis. And when you're in crisis, you just go, you don't ask questions. Like someone's like heart surgery, let's go waiting for him to be there with his name on the board. Okay. So I did everything I needed to do to make myself feel better. And I'm such like a, we're such like fun, loving life, living, like loving people that like, Mm. I was just like, everything's going to be fine. I just like convinced myself everything was going to be fine. And things just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I was like, we can do this. We can arise to the occasion. We can just do this. Right. So my husband and I, we cried and we like got over it and we just went and I came home from surgeries those days. I stayed bedside with them in hospital for six days, you know, with the nurses coming in every minute and not really understanding the breadth and depth of what I was going to until we came home for 10 days from the failure surgery, going back for the open heart surgery and understanding like, okay, this is just our life now. Our life now is just we are in and out of hospitals, and he is just somebody who is not well.
0: And you know, earlier you mentioned that you had a an initial mistrust of doctors and things like that. It's like, where does that come from? And you know, how has that evolved? Because you're essentially living at sick kids half time. You're talking to ser- therapists now, so that's a huge one hundred and eighty.
2: Well, it's a huge one hundred and eighty. I mean, look, I think for me, like, I had a distrust of doctors because I don't like being out MD'd by anybody. I don't like feeling like somebody is telling me that they. I just don't like being told things. I don't like feel. I don't like what's called the cascade of intervention, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to have a C-section on your lunch break because it's a fucking up your holiday. Like, I'm not interested in any of that <laughs> stuff, you know? Like I just don't, I don't want to be advocated for. And I, I remember Alex, now that you're saying it and we're talking about it, I forgot that this is why it started. I had so many friends, had such traumatic birth experiences, mm-hmm. and now in my role as sort of the mother hen to so many moms the trauma of birth is so fucking real. And people, you should get Emily Edwards on here. She's amazing. Um, Gotta write that down. She's (laughs) literally, she is a walking trigger warning. She will like go deep with you on all your birth stuff. And it could be as simple as like you being completely violated in your birth and mm-hmm. you just feeling like that's where the trauma came from. So I was like, I'm going to do everything I can to protect my myself to not have a traumatic experiences. And I'm a pamphlet person. Literally. I went to my doctor, like my, I was like, I'm pregnant. She's like, have you heard of midwifery? She like hands me the pamphlet. I was like, what's a midwife. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I happened to call to myself on the wait list. I'm a very connected person. And somebody will answer. She's like, Alana fucking Kathan. I'm putting your name to the top of the file. It's like somebody I knew from Jewish summer camp or something. Yeah. So anyway, so that's how it happened, and I just really had such a beautiful birth and such a beautiful birth story with all my kids, and had no trauma. I mean, listen, your body—you know what it's like. Your body births, all right. We've been doing births for three thousand years. Like, I'm more scared, honestly, Alex, of an epidural and being paralyzed than I am of giving birth to a child. It just was my mm-hmm. fear, and my parents. My mom was really sick when I was a kid, and she had some. I think like miss medicalization that had happened to her that resulted in some serious life-threatening things. So I think that's where my mistrust of like the Mm -hmm. medical system came from. All my friends are doctors. My best friend is a physician. I like (laughs) went to McMaster. Everyone I know is a doctor. It just, so now I, now I'm here. Okay. I have a sick kid. I'm now shackled to the yoke of sick kids. Mm -hmm. And I will say whatever they they save my kid's life and they will probably save him 10 more times. So it is what it is. Like, Mm I, I've also lived in this world, right? So yeah. the reality is you put yourself aside for your kids. And often by like, they're not such deep suited foundational, moral, ethical issues with physicians. It's not that yeah. I just don't like doctors very much. <laughs> no, that's I it. just don't like doctors. That's it. I get that.
0: I get that. I love them only because I have had so many health problems in my life that I'm like, I mean, I'd be on the side of the road dead shot like a horse without you know all the help i've had but i i do totally understand that and now being at sick you said that they're probably going to save henry's life 10 more times is that a threat like what does Myri look like as children age like it, it, will yeah. he be needing
2: subsequent heart surgeries so we don't know. And that's the short answer. The short answer is I'm still learning. The short answer is today's May 17th. And I learned about this on May on April 10th. Like we're, we're four and a half weeks into mm-hmm. this prognosis. And what we do know is that it is a connective tissue disorder. It is a stenosis of every part of the body. And I'm getting better at saying it the more that I talk about it. I was not okay saying this literally two days ago, three days ago. But a stenosis is a narrowing of passageways. And what happens is if you look at Henry, he has very thick hands. He's a very small statured guy. He has very pronounced features like his eyes, his lips, his nose, his ears, even his penis is like, it's all very pronounced, but a lot of things for the Myrie syndrome, the coarctation of the aorta is one of the conditions. So what we've learned is there's a multitude of conditions that make up Myri. So what you do, it becomes sort of symptomatic Mm -hmm. where you sort of treat them as they appear. It's kind of like COVID in that way. It's weird. So we don't really know what's going to happen until it presents. But Henry is one of the youngest babies on record that I've heard of who's gotten Myri. Myri's been around obviously forever. It was discovered in the eighties, but it really started being diagnosed in the last six to eight years. So, a lot of people have walked this earth not knowing what they had. They just had a ton of different things happening to their bodies, but there can be anything from a develop, de- developmental delay, obviously, learning disability, autism, vision loss, hearing loss, very small stature. But also, the big thing that's life threatening is the intubation. So, mm-hmm. anytime an intubation goes into the throat, it can leave scar tissue. And what you'll see on Henry is that some of his scars are very, very faint but send them an art. And what happens with a miry person is their skin is a very tough tissue. All the organs are very dense. So if he has a cut, you will see that it will potentially heal very raised. Like it could be inches off the skin. So sometimes you'll see that when somebody has like something removed and then all of a sudden it's almost like a pile of skin Mm, that can happen that the skin tissue heals in such a way that it can be even create more of a stenosis. So When I saw my cardiologist recently with him, they said Henry looks good, but he's not out of the woods yet. Meaning, as his coarctation heals, it could be that there could be scar tissue that actually makes the passageway narrow again, which will require additional surgeries of his heart. So, but I've heard that there's other people who've had issues with everything from joint pain, and I mean limited mobility. I'm talking about not able to hold a pencil, Mm -hmm. right? As a kid, as a child, Mm -hmm. Uh, we're talking about the inability to. A lot of it is kidneys, like um, hypertension, so blood vessels becoming stenosed, very narrow, but the big one is obviously the airway. So any surgeries we do, Alex, moving forward, we are gonna have to weigh the cost benefit of putting him under with requiring intubation because every time we intubate him, there's a chance that there will be scar tissue that can result in a narrowing of his hep ways. So that's why things become very complex moving forward, that Mm -hmm. everything we're going to do now is going to be a cost analysis of like, is this surgery worth the risk? Yeah. A big fuck.
0: All right, Alana, we're just going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we are supported by. We are supported by Hello Bello. Being a parent is hard, like really hard. So when you go to get diapers to prevent the next eventual blowout, finding a diaper that's absorbent and soft without spending a fortune shouldn't be just a stuff.
1: No, it shouldn't. And these really do prevent blowouts. Like when we first did the read, I was like, I wonder how much it actually is going to prevent. It is the best diaper, hands down, the best cream. We will always use HellaBello. For the rest of our life, even when we uh, the children are off, like I'm going to find a way to still use these diapers. Oh,
0: well, I love just using their products like for myself, like the lotions, the bubble baths, oh, everything yeah. That is makes so more nice. sense than diapers, yeah. I
1: guess. <laughs> well, I guess we're getting, you know, we're going to get old at one point. But
0: yeah, back in diapers. Yeah. Maybe i will start making geriatric diapers by that point. We'll do reads at that. But uh, of course, as you probably know, is co-founded by Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard. And Hello Bello is built on the simple idea that all babies deserve the best, which is why they offer premium baby products at affordable prices. Their diaper bundling service lets you choose from over 20 different fun rotating designs throughout the year. And each bundle comes with seven packs of diapers, four packs of plant-based wipes, the best wipes ever, and even one full size product freebie with your first order. Plus, you get 15% off of any add-ons like the bubble bath, the wipes, the diaper rash cream, the detangler which I use in my hair. They're all so amazing. And to get Hello Bello's super soft, super absorbent, and super affordable diapers delivered right to your door, it is so easy. Go to hellobello.ca and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree30 for 30% off your diaper bundle order. That is a huge bang for your buck and a lot of potential blowout saved.
1: That's right. Your ears are not deceiving you. That's HelloBello.ca promo code ThisFamilyTree30 to start bundling with 30% off your first order.
0: Don't forget that's HelloBello.ca and promo code ThisFamilyTree30. This promo is applicable to Canadians only and we highly suggest you get on it.
1: But we are also supported by
0: my breast friend. My breast friend is the number one choice of nursing pillow for millions of parents around the world who nurse their babies. And
1: yes, I'm going to say it really fast. This is B-R-E-S-T. T
0: No, A. For more than 25 years, my breast friend's patented wraparound design has supported people in over 40 countries and thousands of birthing hospitals to support successful nursing. Lactation consultants around the world credit the pillow for helping parents achieve longer and more comfortable feeding cycles than they thought possible. Shane and I are two of those parents. We love this pillow. It stopped us from getting, you know, kinks in our neck and sore arms, things like that. Just kept us cozy.
1: It's got a little phone holder.
0: Water bottle. Water bottle holder. Yeah, it's awesome. It's simply the best most supportive choice for successful breastfeeding. You can purchase my breast friend online at buybuybaby.com, target.com, walmart.com, babylist.com, and amazon.com. And now back to our interview with Alana. Yeah, so being a mom of two healthy kids, right? And kind of going into this world, it's a world you haven't been in before, you were not expecting, it took you by surprise. It's you're now a part of, and you talk about it a lot, being like a sick kid's mom. you're a sick kid's mom, you're part of a sick kid's family. What is that? And like what kind of community do you find when you go in there? Like, do you just start talking to somebody on a bench? Do you in you know, are there groups? like yeah. what does that look like?
2: So it's interesting you say that. Well, I also became a sick kid's family during COVID, right? Mm -hmm. So like there is nothing and there is nobody. And it's all solo parenting. Solo parents running around the place. You can't bring two parents in. Parents have to leave like clockwork. So there's no crossover. Like one person, like sick kids right now, if you go there and you drive around, if you go into the underground parking, there are people sleeping in cars. There's families just camped out living literally with beds in the backseat with sheets down because people are taking turns sleeping. In and out, or there's the Ronald like McDonald's House or the hospital, like the hotels around the hospital. Look, the Sen- Henry's second surgery. I moved into a, ho- a hotel for nine nights just to be close, so I wasn't there sixteen. 16- I was there like sixteen hours a day, but I just couldn't sleep bedside. And that's when I started coming home. Is that one of the head nurses looked at me? She's like, "You start. You got to go home. You can't stay here every night. You got to come here like it's a job. You come here and you got to leave. You got to go home and have dinner with your other kids." And I was like, "Okay, I need someone to give me permission to leave." Mm-hmm. You know. So th- that's what happened when he was bedside, but. Anyways, the community itself, I can't really speak to because I don't think I really got to experience yeah. the beauty that say kids can bring, but I did make mom friends. Like I mm-hmm. made mom friends in the hallway. Uh, Amanda Jennings is one of my new friends. This woman named Renee, who we became friends with, just women who are like in my hall, like literally next door to me or across the hall. And you just sort of talk through the mask through your rooms or whatever, and just going through some of those things together. And when I met other hot, my heart moms or you know, heart warrior parents. What I come to learn and through our campaign to try to raise a million dollars for sick kids is like, when you are there, you, it's not that you're less scared or you're less worried. It's like, you just come to terms with the fact that this is your reality, right? Like one of the things you have to come to terms with is like, you know, your kid might die, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's a hard thing to come to terms with. So one of the things that I learned from watching other parents go through this, my friend, Amanda, her daughter, Leah had been through three or four surgeries before she was three. Now coming back for additional surgeries at 10. So like just understanding the fact that like, you're never fully out of the woods, right? You Mm -hmm. just have a child who requires intervention. So the word that I've come to learn, which I didn't even know was a term is called this idea of a medical mama.
0: Okay. A medical
2: mama is somebody who is bedside, who learns the terms and what your child needs to the point where you sound like a physician. So, I'm not kidding, Alex. Every time I bring Henry into the to emerge and I talk to the nurses about what his conditions are without fail, they're like, oh, you're a medical professional. I was like, no, nope, <laughs> I'm just a medical mama. It's literally a, a term I didn't know. And you'll see if you look on Instagram, people hashtag in their bio medical mama because they are so well versed. And my kid is complex. But there are parents who are way more complex than me. And the way probably, Alex, you look at me being like, how is she doing it? Mm-hmm. I look at these other people. I'm like, how the hell are they doing it? You know, mm-hmm. with kids who are way sicker than Henry, who have way more challenges on a daily basis and they're at home, you know, and we have a village and I am somebody who is extraordinarily public with my storytelling. It's just my life. It's my business. It's how I cope. Mm-hmm. So I have an army of people who support me. A lot of women do not tell their story are like ashamed or embarrassed or whatever it is, or feel responsible for their kid's illness or whatever it is. And they don't have the platform that I have or the power that I have to feel so lifted. Yeah. Right. Or women like you who are like, let's hear your stories. So I'm using mm-hmm. the platform to share. If you have a sick kid, or if you're looking for a community, tell the story, you know, we have to tell the story. We have to be able to share these things because like, also I'll tell you the other thing, Alex, when I saw other people's sick children, I have to admit I would scroll right by. I don't want to even yeah. think about my child being sick. It's hard. I don't want to even I don't even want to think about my kid and sick kids. I don't want to think about a sick kid. I don't want to look at a sick kid. Mm-hmm. I don't want to look at I don't want to look at a kid who has cancer. I don't want to look at a kid I didn't want to see it. Mm -hmm. And now I'm living it. So yeah, I'm trying to approach this where I'm like, I am a mom who happens to have a sick child. I have other children too, but it has, it is now part of my identity and I can't turn that off and And I can't stop sharing because that's who I am. I can't shut that off either.
0: No, it's, it's, it's so important, honestly. And it allows other people to, again, like find comfort in that, you know, find somebody else going through, even if it's not the same, maybe something similar, even if it's on a different scale. And there is so much comfort in that. And, you know, for anybody listening who is going through something or who has, or who may like, what, how have you been coping? Like, what do you do? And have you done anything or tried anything that just hasn't worked for you or?
2: Yeah. So I find for me, I'm still coping, right? Mm, Like I'm still a little bit. So I think part of the reality was, was when we found out about Myri, you know, everyone always was like, oh, like God only gives you what you can handle. Don't say that to me, Bill. (laughs) Just let me know. The other thing don't say is like, is there anything I can do for you? Don't say that. Just do Do the thing. Just do it. Just show up on Tuesday. Just show up on Tuesday with all the cut, fetch fruits and vegetables. Just send the Uber gift card. Don't wait. Just show up with the toys for the kids. Don't ask. If you say, what can I do? You're not going to get an answer. Don't put it on somebody, you know, in the grief community, that's what they say a lot. And I've learned that from other friends who've really had much bigger losses recently than me is like, just do the thing. Mm-hmm. Just send the meal. Yeah. Don't ask, just do it. I'm, so I'm giving you per- an yeah. yeah. I'm giving you permission now. Don't be like, don't be like, Hey, uh, what do you need for me? No, just if you want to be a real friend, or if you're trying <laughs> to be there for somebody, just buy the massage card. Just just do the thing. Anyways, yeah, how am I coping? I'm not really coping to be honest. Mm. I'm still I'm still I'm still waving my hands in the air a bit. And part of it is like Alex, I don't have a Mat leave, right? There's no there's no EI coming in. I have to run my business, right? So the four months I was at Sa Kids really not running my business actually gave me time to think about ways I can run the business. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I realized is I love to do things I like to start movements. I like to get people excited about stuff. So when I decided to do this third-party fundraising for Sick Kids, it started with my community. Mm-hmm. People were like, "I, you're at Sick Kids. I want to send the nurses a meal." Okay, yeah. so somebody sent some pizza. Next day, I'm like, hey, guys, the nurses have been amazing. I want to send them some McFlurries. Who wants to send me two bucks to do McFlurries? We made $1,600 in McFlurry money. And that was the beginning of sort of this like acts of radical generosity that continued to go. So for me, that was my coping strategy is to give, 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 because that's what I do. I give, I give, I give. And then I said one day on Instagram, like totally like really, nilly. Oh, we're just going to raise a million dollars because <laughs> there's no place in this hospital to chill as a parent. Yeah, You can't chill. There's no escape from like the grind of being the parent to that child. I would love a place, Alex, to put my feet up, to like just chill, you know? If you remember like an airport sometimes there's like express manicures yeah. or like, you know how many times I needed a pair of fresh underwear and didn't have it? I was on the phone with Nick's where I was like with Joanna Griffin. I was like, can you make a vending machine for sick kids that people could just buy panties if they need it? Like people need fresh underwear, you know? I would buy a smash and test romper because I needed a new outfit. And I was there bored with money on me and I didn't really want to go spend it again on another... Kid toy, you know, 100%. like I needed socks. So like a space that's like very thoughtful about the parents' experience is what I was hoping for. Mm-hmm. So I called my friend at the foundation. I was like, I'm gonna raise a million dollars. What does a lounge cost? She's like, Well, a hospital bedroom is two hundred fifty thousand. I'm like, But a lounge? She's like, Do you think you can raise a million? I'm like, I already put it on Instagram, so I guess I have to do it now. And that's where it's come from. Was for me coping was just throwing myself into this campaign mm-hmm. and turning to my team of all volunteer moms who are now like I pay very small amounts as a side hustle to say, what do we want this community to be? And that's when we pivoted from mom's Toronto to mom halo, saying, we got your back. This is the Beyoncé Halo, not, not like the religious halo, right? We, you are, if you by being close to us, you are a ray. You are a ray of sunshine for your community, friends, family, people can turn to you and you can turn to others. So that's what happened. This explosive thing happened where we're like Project Halo will be us raising a million dollars by allowing moms to be entrepreneurial or to throw a kid's birthday party or to do whatever to, uh, to pay it forward. So all these women have started companies like full on B Corps, you know, where they give a lot, you know, 30, 40 percent of their proceeds to our initiative. So we started a fucking movement. It's a movement of moms under Project Halo who started bread baking companies, who started tie dye companies, Mm -hmm. who existing apparel companies that I can't even say yet are (laughs) doing time capsule collections where they are going to raise solely probably $20,000, big names for our initiative. So, well, I
0: feel like you dropped two hints earlier. Oh, did I? I feel like it.
2: No, with I didn't. The, those uh, are not
0: them. Those no. were not them. No, those are <laughs> the two
2: companies. No, but the, no, no, no. not with them yet. No, no, no. That's like, I'm, I'm manifesting that. I'm putting that. I like it. The I like it. Yeah. So, so those are things that are, that's how I coped Alex is I threw myself into these projects and, you know, I've lived my life in philanthropy before I started Mom Halo. I did 15 years in nonprofit. Before that, I worked in the tech startup world. So I'm very much a fierce entrepreneur. And the thing about entrepreneurs is that we're fucking entrepreneurs, like I will never stop innovating. I will never stop failing fast. I will never stop putting ideas out there. Mm -hmm. I will never stop trying to meet the needs of our community. So, you know, and as they arise, we will try to, we'll try to figure out a way to do that. So right now, you know, we have moms of every age and stage. I have moms who started with us in 2016 who are now on their second or third kid and they followed along our story the whole time. So we have raving fans and we have amazing followers and friends who've been with us for years now, Alex, Mm -hmm. and we have nothing to sell them. I'm not a sales. We don't have a product. We have nothing. We have a membership. Okay. Which is like open right now, but I don't, we're not selling. I'm not a traditional influencer. You don't see me holding up freaking branded shit all the time and buying things. (laughs) We don't do that. Yeah. We are about a community. It is about the moms. Do you know who I want to serve? Our moms. Mm -hmm. I like brands. Don't get me wrong, but I'm here for the moms. Right? No, absolutely. So I think that's what sets us apart. and And I felt a thunderous amount of support through this whole process. And I continue to really people are putting their monies where their mouths are. They're rolling up their sleeves and I'm coping because I'm relying on the strength of my halo Mm -hmm. to lift me up. And I feel so elevated by this community.
0: It it is. It is so incredible. And it's incredible seeing like you just had mom fest last week. And it is so incredible to see the amount of people that are so, I want to say gung ho, but that's like the worst word, but that are just so enthusiastic and passionate about that community, about supporting that community. And, you know, you were saying, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur, you live your life like that. And when I think of entrepreneurs, you are constantly going, there is a sense of the ones that I know of, you know, always wanting to be in control, have control, have power over certain situations. And obviously, you have a lot of variables that you cannot control in your life right now. So how are you, you know, kind of Bringing that entrepreneurial mindset and those qualities that you probably hold, and how are you managing with all of the new variables that you can't control that are shitty?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting question. Not well. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not doing well with not mm. being in control. What mm-hmm. I am being doing well at is getting out of my way. So what this has taught me is that I have two people on my team. Has, have you sort of articulated? We have this je ne sais quoi of the movement, right? Which is people feel very passionate and deeply for what we've created, Alex, right? Women are rolling up their hands, raising their hands. They follow us daily. They love what we're doing, but remember we're not a sales company. I have nothing to sell them right now. MomFest is really just like an opportunity to celebrate and to rally and to set the tone for Mm -hmm. body, mind, soul. That's what people needed right now. You know, we we didn't do a daytime event. We did two evenings because people are home with their kids. Like we we are so in it with you because we're in the trenches, we know what's up. And my team is amazing. I have three or four women who've been with me for years, like three or four years. And I turned to them in this moment and I said to them, this is yours, guys. you need to do this. And they all fucking rose to the occasion. Osana Burr, Brianna Weston, Bonnie Oppenheimer, Priya Paul, and Carrie, Carrie Ross, who's my now community manager. That is women. I just said, go. They did it. They did the auction. They did mm-hmm. Mom Fest. They did the speakers. It was the best event we've ever done. It's the best content we've ever put up ever. Mm-hmm. The most diverse, 50% women of color, 50% women who are, I've never even met before, who brought to the, the table the most amazing conversations. And that's, that's how amazing. I coped. I just, I, I got out of my own way.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that's, that is amazing. And that's one thing, you know, even going through tough pregnancies, but then having healthy children, that's one thing that we learned, whether it's patients, whether it's better self-regulation, regulation in our marriage, you know, if I'm really upset about things and really emotional, then Shane and I are learning how to kind of deal with each other. And that gets really hard. And, you know, I wanted to ask you if you had any, any advice or anything that you can say to women or fathers, parents, whatever, that are going through something similar, or do you ever find themselves at sick kids at their own sick children's hospital, wherever they live?
2: Yeah. So what I've come to learn is that I'm extraordinarily confident in sick kids. Like they really have the best and brightest people from all over the world. It's not Canada's hospital. It's the world hospital. Henry's team, we're literally from 14 different countries. Oh my goodness. So like, you know, it's, it's unbelievable to see that this is the world leading hospital. I would say that's number one, feel like you can trust, but also at the same time as a medical mama or a medical papa, advocate for your kid, push the boundaries, ask to feel safe, use those words. I don't feel safe. This doesn't make me feel safe. If you see something, you have to say something. So, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: you know, the other thing is as much as I love the nurses and I know them by name and I felt really like I can name literally of 110 cardiac nurses on the fourth floor, I could probably name like 80 of their (laughs) names first name, and see them by face on the street and know them. Okay. Yeah. Like that is what I could do. But the truth is, is like, it's their job. It's a public funded situation. You know, there is a reporting mechanism of place like see something, say something, that sort of thing. So it's hard that way, you know, and when you're an, ang- when you're a parent and you find that your kid is sick or if your kid is sick, you can be angry, like you can be sad, you know, and, but also to understand that like there's happiness in the most moments too, right? It doesn't change how much you love your kid and it doesn't change who your kid is. You know, and that's the first thing that I was thinking, like, I still love Henry. It doesn't change how much I love him, you know, and it doesn't change him who he is at his core. Mm -hmm. So I think those are the biggest things is that trust the hospital, but being sure that you can always advocate for yourself, you know, and, and to, it doesn't change at the core who your child is, Mm -hmm. you know? your child is your child is their child. And you know, my son's in JK and they have a saying that says you get what you get and you don't get upset. And the first time <laughs> he came home saying that, I was like, fuck, that's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. But okay, I'm going to use it for you all the time. And then I had to say to myself, you get what you bet, but you can be upset. It's okay to be upset, you know? So I'm reminding myself, I get what I get and I can be upset. And I'm just looking at an early photo of Henry that I just found. This is my husband and Henry. Oh my um, gosh! In the early days, that's
0: That's That's pre-surgery.
2: That's pre-surgery, you know? And if you look at him there, you can see like, he is a little bit dysmorphic. We didn't even know. You know what I mean?
0: I I never would have known, honestly, Elena, like never. Because he just, he just looked like a small kid.
2: He's a small kid. Looks like he's very small. He's missed almost every single developmental milestone. And you know what's Alex, I have to say, this This is not about you. Mm -hmm. This is just about a medical, being a medical mom now who is a sick kid. Sometimes I see a kid who's healthy, okay? (laughs) I, I hate to say it. And I'm like, fuck. Like, what the fuck? Why didn't I, you know, I get moments and I have to stop scrolling Instagram and I'm like, Henry's not sitting yet by himself. Henry's Mm -hmm. not doing, you know, know. and I had to say to myself, like, I was so much somebody who, oh, I don't, I don't care about milestones. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: You don't care. You don't care about milestones when your kid's fucking hitting them all. Wait till your kid doesn't hit a milestone and then tell me you don't care about milestones because that to me was a big aha moment. So I apologize also to my friends and family and followers. If you have had a sick kid. And it, we fell on deaf, ear, deaf ears, I am sorry. I'm now here to advocate for those people because I now know how jarring it is to look at a totally healthy, normal kid who's the exact same age and stage as my kid and be like, not you, Alex. Not, this is not no, to Betty, but no. fuck you. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't miss a milestone or real size how big of a deal it is to miss a milestone until you fucking are missing those milestones. Yeah. And you're like, oh shit, I got to work. So you better believe my PTOT is on her way here right now. Like we got to work for tummy time I gotta work for grabbing we gotta work for chewing like Mm -hmm. those are all things now where it's like oh you know I look at my older kids now I'm like okay you can cry over whatever you two (laughs) have because I don't give a shit now about your two like you're like sibling rivalry I don't care about right now I just want to make sure Henry is alive like this is Mm -hmm. that he's eating putting on pounds you know and do they get it your
0: your older kids like do are they understanding no
2: Oh, they love Henry. They want to hug Henry. Henry's happy. Mommy, mommy, mommy. Henry said, ba ba ba. Okay. (laughs) Lies, you know? And like, those things are crazy. Like, you know, Henry might have like really very possibly might have glasses and hearing aids and physical aids Mm -hmm. and, and, and require all sorts of external technologies in his life. Right. So my kids are just being so amazing. The older ones are being so amazing and gentle and loving that like, I just want that dynamic to continue, you know? So yeah, those are the pieces I would give is just give yourself a little bit of grace, get a really good therapist or somebody to talk to <laughs> for you and your spouse. If you're in a mm-hmm. coupled relationship, please, both of you talk to somebody. And if you can set yourself up with some financial stability, that mm-hmm. would be my other piece is just, I don't know what's coming. And that's why we had to make some drastic decisions for ourselves as a family about how to put some Protect our family and make us feel safe.
0: And uh, I do know, and I want to talk about. Let listeners know there is a fundraiser, right, a GoFundMe for yeah, Henry. Henry's Henry's medical costs. So, if, if you yeah. don't mind telling people how to access that,
2: you just go to GoFundMe and you can see it says Henry's Medical Fund. And people have been unbelievably generous. And I think that's what happened for us, Alex, is we put it out on Mother's Day. My hand was forced a bit because what happened was we had collaborated with Sick Kids Hospital, where we were gonna be featured in the day of life of a sick parent. So they asked me for like stories of my whole day, like what I do at night and evening, whatever. So I like story the way that I normally do, but we had already known about the Myrie syndrome. And I had included it in the stories mm-hmm. and sick kids had put it on their Instagram being like, Henry has myri syndrome or weird genetics geneticist I was like, Oh fuck. I haven't told my friends yet, our family, our followers. So that day on mother's day, I was like, we've been sitting on this GoFundMe. We got to, mm-hmm. We got to post this now. And pa- partially because what we've come to learn is we don't know what we don't know. What we do know is the leading world expert. in this is in Boston. If I ever need to go to mass and meet this doctor, as a Canadian, OHIP does not cover these sorts of trips. It can cost $30,000 for one visit, right? So we we put on this fundraiser. Originally, our goal was $10,000, and we reached that in 12 minutes. That's amazing. So my husband's like, okay, let's just move this out. So we moved it to $100,000 and realizing that really we need closer to $300,000 mm-hmm. to really get him to eighteen. So It's not going to be cheap. And we also don't know what we, we don't, what I said, I don't know. The spectrum itself is so, it's a spectrum. It can be very mild, it can be very severe, but we don't know. So now we're setting him up to make sure that Henry's medical bills are going to be never, that he should never need something and us be unable to get it. That, that is what I don't want. And I don't want to have to wait for anybody or rely on anybody. I know we have a public Canadian healthcare system, but like, I'm not interested in waiting. I want to make sure that we can have what we need when we need it. And that's my goal. Mhm.
0: And my last thing that I want to ask you, has your perspective changed in any major way throughout the year? Like throughout all since all of this has happened anyway, since he was about 4 months old.
2: I mean, my entire world has been turned upside yeah. down. Like for some people, I understand COVID is hard, okay? And it's complex for the easiest of situations. Mm-hmm. But no one is having an easy time right now. We have a we have a particularly extraordinarily hard situation. Mm-hmm. My husband and I are particularly Good at making lemonade. You know, we're pretty good at making lemonade. And that's what we're doing now. And partially, is maybe we're in denial of the severity of what's about to happen. Partially, these things are degenerative. So, a lot of the things that will happen for Henry won't present for another two years, five years, seven years. Around puberty and into teenagehood is where things really tend to present Mm -hmm. in terms of things being potentially life threatening or him really needing physical aids and stuff like that. So, we're counting our blessings that we discovered it so early so we can do some intervention that is our saving grace. So even though we were, had a very long hospital admission, which was life changing and life draining. The big thing is, is that we were kind of on a marathon and a sprint at the same time. The difference now is, is that the sprint is over, but the marathon now continues, meaning Mm -hmm. like his care will never be ended. We are there's many, many Henry is out. So that's, so that's our situation.
0: And Alana, where can folks go to check out Mom Halo online and find everything they need to know about this conversation?
2: Yeah, thanks. So, if you're interested in learning more about our community, Mom Halo, you can go to momhalo.com or our Instagram is where we talk to our friends every day. So, come check us out at momhalo.com or Instagram backslash momhalo. Yeah, we also have our GoFundMe, which you can check out if you see this anytime. I'd love You know any of that support, and also if you're interested in learning more about Project Halo, which is our initiative to help raise a million dollars for sick kids, you can go to momhalo.com, and then you'll see the Project Halo information there. As well, we have our own Instagram account where we just literally reshare anybody who's doing any initiative. It doesn't matter if you're making stained glass windows, which somebody is making, if you're making prints, if you're doing jewelry, if you're making books, if you're just even doing a birthday party for your kid, and you want that money to go toward this initiative, that's fine. If you had lost, if you have a campaign or if you have a, a fundraiser for for anything, your mom, your grandmother, your child, whatever mm-hmm. it is, uh, a lot of people are just finding solace and helping us reach our goal. And we're almost, I think we're at a hundred thousand dollars and we launched in March, That's incredible. So March, April, May, two months, we're almost at a hundred thousand dollars. No, so. it's
0: one of the strongest communities that I have seen for parents on Instagram or in, I mean, your local, locally, you know, and it's, it's really amazing. And obviously a huge part of that has to do with, you spearheading it all because you do have that magnetic personality and it, you do a fantastic job. So I do want to congratulate you, so you on Mom Halo on everything that you are, you know, going through because I do think you're doing it very gracefully and or not gracefully. Fuck it, it doesn't matter. Like you're doing it and that's what matters. But yeah, best of luck, Alana. Thank you so much thank for joining me today in the chat. Thank you, Alex.
1: Two for two, Alex. Great job with that interview. <laughs> I you. liked. I, I like the questions. I thought they were good. They were uh, insightful.
0: Thank you. I have not heard
1: the interview. No, No, but but I know you and I know you're always good.
0: And Alana was great. And again, I am so grateful that she shared her experience. Obviously, that is every parent's worst nightmare to have to go through something like this. So if you did listen and you do want to contribute to their GoFundMe, please do. I will link it up when we promote this episode and I will put the GoFundMe in the show notes.
1: All right, but now... Is everybody's favorite part of the show besides the opening? Oh, the opening's everyone's favorite, but (laughs) now it's the QA segment. This is where we get your questions. I'm talking to the listeners right now. If you submitted, and Alex researches them Mm -hmm. and then actually answers the question, Mm -hmm. even if you don't know the answer, you'll find the answer. answer. So I'm just gonna sit back, listen. (laughs) Maybe I'll contribute something, maybe I won't. Maybe all the questions are for me. I don't know, but let's see.
0: I like all the mystery, Shane. All right. But first question tonight, baptizing children have or statement. <laughs> have or will you baptize both? And if so, what religion? My husband was born and raised Catholic, and I am more than happy to baptize them within the Catholic religion. However, I've heard that in order to do this, both parents need to be baptized within the Catholic church and your marriage needs to be blessed by the church. Did you two face any hurdles like these? So we got Lucy baptized in the church. Uh, shane were you baptized i don't
1: No, i'm the classic second child where my sister was baptized i've never been baptized is i know there's water involved but do you get to eat the cracker on that one
0: no you goof that's that is when you're in grade two that you're finally able to do that
1: what's that called communion
0: yeah do you New know Christ, yeah
1: do you know what's weird and i bet you there's other like-minded people out here what's that who feel this thing i was always jealous or not jealous. I always wanted to eat the cracker.
0: Oh, of course! If you see everybody else eating it.
1: No, but it actually made me hungry. I was like, <laughs> I want to know what it tastes like. I bet it tastes really good. I know it's a bland cracker with like very yeah. little taste. But every time I see someone eating the cracker, I just want to eat it.
0: Like it for hunger reasons. It, it just dissolves on your tongue. Like it's you don't even chew it. You're not you're not allowed to chew it. You're not supposed to. You just let it dissolve in your
1: Intellectually, mouth. Intellectually, I know that, but there's some. Caveman reptilian. I don't know. It's just I want. I get hungry when I see people eating it.
0: Well, you need a little snack in the middle of church sometimes. It can I go love on for crackers. A while.
1: Is the point? Yeah. There you and go. Rice cracker. I, oh, well, now I kinda, want rice crackers. That's the texture. I love of it. dill rice crackers. Dill pickle flavor. Yeah, they're
0: definitely not flavored. I wish they were, but no. Uh, but yeah. So we got Lucy baptized at about. Oh, it was on her first birthday. It was on Shane's birthday, her birthday, and it was Mother's Day.
1: And it's the day Qui hit the shot.
0: Yes, that was the most legendary day in our Mm -hmm. personal family history. That was amazing. Yeah. We did not face any hurdles, even though Shane is not Catholic. Uh, far from being, you know, a practicing Catholic, but we did have our priest over at our house. Uh, we had some snacks and we just had a conversation with him about why we wanted to have Lucy baptized. And he
1: was a bit of a party animal, if I remember correctly. He was awesome. He yeah. was telling he was about like all so those nice. stories about, I, like, I always forget if priests are allowed to drink.
0: Yeah, yeah. Catholics love uh, drinking.
1: Yeah, so he was telling us some stories of him going to like the the Super Bowl and the Great Cup. Yeah. And, like, really funny guy, too. No, he was like, awesome. Yeah, he, he, was he was awesome.
0: Was and uh, so it was genuinely an awesome hang. Like, he was at our house for, I don't know, like an hour or so. And it was genuinely a lot of fun. And yeah, we just explained why we wanted. Lucy baptized, and, you know, he recommended that Shane come to a few masses, which we did, and we got her baptized, and it was no problem. So typically, the church does require that both parents are Catholic. However, there are provisions where one parent, you know, if they demonstrate their Catholic faith, can be allowed to present their child for baptism, even if the other parent isn't a Catholic, all right? So as long as—it really depends on your priest and your parish— and if you have a good relationship with them or not. So if you do want to get your child baptized and your other spouse is not Catholic, just start putting a little more money in those collection envelopes and show your faces around, get to know your priests. Because generally, I think that they just want as many Catholics because it's a dying religion, right? Fewer people and fewer young people are going to church. So I think it's probably in the church's best interest baptize people if they if if they want their children to be baptized so check it out get to know your priests see what they say
1: do you think they'll ever start charging for baptisms like just have a price like no because it's
0: no no, it's a sacrament so they they wouldn't you they would never charge for a sacrament i don't think like that unless maybe if you want a private one because baptisms are communal because it's supposed to be like a community thing and the whole community is welcoming the baby into the church so maybe if you wanted a private one, but... So
1: like an admission fee would be considered a sin. <laughs> no. yeah.
0: But, uh, and the other thing is, so maybe you will be required to attend baptism preparation sessions. Our church didn't have that, but some churches do. Uh, the one thing is that if you do have godparents, that's strictly a religious role. Like I know people that talk about godparents, but they're not even in a Christian religion. And the role of the godparent is strictly religious. So you can't have a godparent that's not Catholic. You can have one Catholic godparent and then one witness who is not Catholic.
1: Isn't the idea of godparents if both parents are taken out?
0: No, that's like what I think people think it means and like kind of like what society think it means. But it's it's strictly a religious role that like those people are going to be there to help guide your child through in like life in a what a faithful way i guess
1: hmm.
0: yeah so that is that next question
1: well they want to know will both kids be baptized oh. yeah so betty will be yeah i'm yeah. like my parents with my sister and i
0: <laughs> no betty will be baptized i don't know how we do that during these times but and this is a
1: serious question but by like catholic law will i go to hell
0: no shame we baptize you you're fine Remember? On that day. On oh. that day, Shane was also baptized, <laughs> that Hell monumental the day. day. And we told that story recently because a Catholic person who is baptized can baptize a non-baptized person if their life is in jeopardy or if they're close <laughs> to dying. So just to quickly recap, I had my cousin come at Shane with an actual... Uh, kitchen knife.
1: Terrifying. <laughs> and she really went for it. And I thought it was a fake knife. So I went to jud my neck like into the knife. And then you're like, no, 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 it's real. And I oh, I almost like, that would have been so bad. But anyhow, obviously.
0: because of all that, your life was at jeopardy. We baptized you. It was a thing. Then it became not only your birthday, Lucy's birthday, Mother's Day, Lucy's baptism, but also your baptism. And then again, later on that night, the Kawhi shot.
1: And Prez Hilton did a cameo for us that day.
0: Yes. So this Mother's was day.
1: obviously before we had spent time <laughs> talking to him on this podcast. So Alex was so excited that. The person—it was actually the person who held the the knife up to my (laughs) neck—purchased you a cameo. Yeah. What? Oh, for For Mother's Mother's Day. Day. Yeah. I was like, why was it you? It was my birthday, but it was Mother's Day, so you got a cameo from Perez Hilton. No, it was
0: Lucy. It was for Lucy, her birthday.
1: It was for both. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. It was for like everything, and you were so excited. Yeah. And then cut to like. I don't know, a, a year later, we're talking to him for like an hour on the phone. Oh,
0: my gosh. Yeah, I could have had him on for three yeah. hours. He was loving being on a podcast.
1: But it, remember, we thought we had to wrap up because we thought our Zoom account was going to die. Yeah. So it was the reverse situation where we, we were trying to get rid of him, but he wouldn't leave. <laughs> yeah, and we were, we were trying to be polite. Yeah. It was just funny how life can work sometimes.
0: I know. That was uh, so a very, yeah, very monumental day. So, Shane, this one is not anonymous. This is from Emom. So she sent me a photo of a reminder.
1: The name being Imam, I think, makes it somewhat (laughs) Well, that's her username. Right, okay. (laughs)
0: But anyhow, so Imam sends me a photo and she's a, you know, mega fan, big listener. We love her. We appreciate her. She sends me a photo of a reminder that went off on her phone, okay? Mm -hmm. So then she messages me. I'm intrigued. I just had a calendar alarm go off two weeks prior to event. The calendar says... Episode 59, Shane predicts everything will be normal by June 1st. So here's my mailbag question. Shane, how often are your predictions accurate? I was probably tipsy when I set that reminder. (laughs) So during episode 59, I guess you said that you predict everything will be normal by June 1st, 2021. And Emom heard that episode, put it in her calendar. That's amazing. And now she wants to know how accurate you are.
1: Not accurate. <laughs> I don't. I don't think things are normal, but I do think everyone's mental state has by by June first will almost be normal.
0: Summer baby, that makes a huge difference.
1: Yeah. So the vaccines are rolling out. It seems like Astrazeneca is gone. Pfizer's here to stay. So that worry's gone. Where mm-hmm. people are like, Oh, am I gonna get Astrazeneca or Pfizer? So I and I on set it felt like a joyous thing while mm. I was shooting it, and the vibe was. Not of fear anymore. Right. So in a a mental way, I feel like it's all good. So there you go,
0: EMOM. So half right, I'd say then, right?
1: Sure, but no.
0: (laughs) All right, next question. How do you feel about nudity around your kids? So... This is kind of tough because right now they're they're so young and there's zero shame or anything attached to nudity. Like,
1: if they want me to put pants on, I will. But is <laughs> I mean, that the question?
0: No, it's like I think like general nudity. Like, so like Lucy will have seen me or Shane, you know, be naked going into the shower. No, I'm <laughs> never naked in
2: house.
0: No, but she's seen you like going into the shower. Like she's run into the bathroom and like open the shower curtain and been like, hey, dad, and you know what I mean. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, so she sees nudity and there's zero shame associated with that within our household. And especially because of COVID, we haven't really had to have like nudity discussions outside of the house. But like Lucy's Mm. naked half the time at home.
1: I only feel shame if you see me naked.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's... Lights off. it's, It's different. And honestly, like I would you know, have no problem probably honestly taking them to a nude beach one day or a topless beach or whatever. I just, I don't have any problems with that. However, it comes down to how they're feeling and if they're feeling safe and comfortable. And this is a great question for the episode about consent, right? Because it's just, does your kid feel safe? And as Rosalia was saying, it's not like, is this a good or a bad thing, but do you feel safe or do you feel unsafe? And that's what it comes down to.
1: I don't know if I would take them to a nude beach. The one time you and I went to one, there was a weird threesome going down. That
0: was not a family nude beach, Shane. That was like a, <laughs> clearly a swinger's nude beach. Like that was like not a normal place. That really? was not normal.
1: Okay, so there's nude beaches that are like anything goes. Yeah. I thought all <laughs> nude beaches were somewhat family
0: no no, no no um and i think even the beach that we were at there was a family section but it was like farther down the beach and then we were hmm. just on the adults only section which yeah you know there's, there's bound
1: yeah
0: weird <laughs> things going <Yeah>. on <laughs> yeah.
1: there's people sexing
0: but you like he, he, you know having said that I do not foresee Shane and I ever taking the kids to a nude beach and just hanging. No, on the I beach found naked. that weird
1: that you said that. I was no, like, we're I, not going to do that. I was that. just
0: trying to illustrate that. Like, I, I don't know. I just don't inherently think there's anything wrong with it. I'm like, I'm not uncomfortable or unsafe feeling in that position. Like, if I was at a nude beach, I, I wouldn't feel unsafe. Um,
1: As a, for me, it's hard to be naked. Why? I don't. I have a lot of shame associated with being naked.
0: <laughs> oh, i'm sorry for you
1: <laughs> i was looking for some uh reassurance some encouragement but let's go to the next question
0: <laughs> all right <clears throat> sunrise or sunset
1: well now you hit me with the hard balls <laughs> okay well let's face it i'm never waking up for a sunrise uh like for pleasure like it's always just Bed, he's crying or something like that so definitely sunset definitely I, I like sunset. evenings i'm a night owl so yeah i sunrises i don't I, you never want to see a sunrise because usually it means you're up too late rather than you're up too. like usually it's like oh i haven't slept mm-hmm. oh no the sun's up
0: Yeah, you know what i get my second wind just before the sun is setting currently And it's like, you know, because you're so tired from the day, you can't wait to put the kids down. You're like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to make it to my own bedtime? But then I find that when we put the kids down, if you and I are sitting out on the porch or doing our podcast or whatever, by the time the sun is setting, I'm getting a second wind night. That's when I feel really great. That's like my best feeling time of the day.
1: Yeah, we're sitting on the porch. We're playing time to pretend. We're (laughs) cracking open the absinthe.
0: (laughs) Which I will be happy to do later if you're a game.
1: Oh, yeah. We're going to need to uh, stock up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, next question. When people say, quote, just stop trying, unquote, is that BS advice for people who are trying to conceive? So do you know what that question's asking?
1: Yeah. It's like, you just don't worry about it. It'll mm-hmm. happen kind of thing.
0: Yeah. So there, this person is asking if that's BS advice. So when you are that couple trying and, I know this from speaking to couples who have been in this position. I know this from reading in forums. That's obviously the last thing you want to hear and it's probably the most annoying thing that someone can say. So,
1: you know, I don't like it.
0: If you if you are a friend and you have another friend who is trying, just don't say that to them. Don't say it. Leave it leave it for them to decide or for a doctor. Don't say that cuz that can be so aggravating. However, through WebMD and through other uh, articles that I read on PubMed, there are several recent studies that have found links between the women's levels of day-to-day stress and lower chances of pregnancy. So for example, women whose saliva had high levels of this thing called alpha amylase, which is an enzyme that marks stress, it took them 29% longer to get pregnant compared to those who had less. So if you are very, very stressed out. You know, you could be stressed in your day to day. And then obviously the stress of trying to conceive when you're ovulating, if you're testing all the time, that can bring so much pressure on a woman. And it might, it might have an impact.
1: Yeah. But you so, can't stop trying. I know. Like-
0: but that and that's, that's the thing. You, you can't. And
1: You can't – it's not going to stop the stress. You can tell someone – if there was an elephant in this room Mm -hmm. and you said don't think about the elephant, you're just going to think about it even more. Exactly. So it's impossible to stop trying. Mm -hmm. And people were telling me this when I was obsessively – not obsessively, but going on so many dates on Tinder. They were like, oh, stop looking for it because it let it just come to you. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, I don't want to waste time. I just want to – like let's play the odds here. If I go on 100 dates Mm – bet you one of those people I'm really going to have a great connection with. I don't want to just like, what if it takes me 20 years to meet 100 people? Mm -hmm. I'm just looking for that 1%, but I want to go through to make that 1% happen within a year instead of 10. Yeah. Because I I do want a family and I just thought everything would be better. And when you had your your miscarriage, Mm -hmm. I was the, the... as soon as possible, I just wanted to try again. Yeah. And for me, that made me feel less stressed to try.
0: For me, it made me less stressed to try. Yeah. And that's that's just the position we were both in. And lucky, luckily, we were both on the same page with that. Uh, but and, I, and
1: I wouldn't be even in a position to have children right now had I not tried like it was my job to go on dates and meet people Which, by the way, was very fun. It was like the funnest job interview (laughs) every other night.
0: Okay, it's funny because we actually have a question that relates directly to this. So we will leave the BS advice thing. It might have a relation or it it has been shown in several recent studies to have a relation. But never tell somebody that because it it doesn't help.
1: But there is no relation because you're saying women who were stressed had this uh, saliva Mm -hmm. thing. And they got pregnant less. Mm-hmm. Not worrying about it, saying, oh, let's not worry about it, doesn't mean those people aren't going to be worried about it.
0: Oh, exactly. It has no impact on whether or not they will or worry. Or stop
1: like- trying. Doesn't mean you're not, you could just be like, okay, let's only have sex when the moment strikes. Yeah. And let's, but you're still stressed about having the baby. No, and you're hoping in this organic approach to having that naturalistic sex that you're going to actually get pregnant on. Yeah,
0: no, it's, it's a whole convoluted thing. And yeah, so that's that. And I would say because of that, it is BS advice. Don't give advice like that, or maybe just don't give advice at all. Other than maybe see your doctor or see a fertility specialist and they can give you actual advice, you know? Mm -hmm. So anyhow,
1: I got my sperm tested. (laughs) <laughs> through the roof through the roof
0: all right next question if you were forced to spend your life in one season what would you choose I would choose the fall not too cold not too hot you have some hot days you have some cold days but usually it's just perfect and lots of fun things to do in the fall sorry I'm not done think of the pastries they're amazing coffee tastes better on are a crisp are pastries fall weather
1: dependent can you what pastry can't you get in the fall
0: no you but or
1: sorry can you not get in the summer or winter? well
0: you can get them like I think of getting like apple turnovers with like butterscotch sauce on them
1: you can get that in the summer or
0: dumplings yeah but they're not like fresh in-season apples like picked right from the trees that day
1: okay
0: i don't know falls just make me think of like fairs and stuff
1: Uh, when i was younger i would 100 percent say summer i'm a summer mainly because school's out Mm -hmm. and that has so much nostalgia for me that i didn't even realize i my favorite Time is summer, my favorite season, summer. I thought it was just the weather. It was more the feeling and the freedom that was associated with it. As I get older and that summertime isn't associated with that freedom as much, although in Canada it kind of is, uh, I think I'm with you on fall, but I still love summer so much that if I would really say summer, but I'm so when summer is done and fall is coming, I'm ready for it.
0: I get so over the heat. Like we've already had two days that hit thirty this week, and I am telling you, by afternoon of the second day, I packed up the kids. I said we are not going outside Mm -hmm. anymore. I turn on the air conditioning. Well, in a concrete jungle, it's
1: different. But I mean, if we're at a cottage (laughs) or nice, had a pool, lake, anything, yeah,
0: I know it's different. It's different when you have access to water or swimming easily, because honestly, it's it's brutal without it.
1: And a nice, cool drink is the apple turnover of summertime. True.
0: It's true. It's seed lip and uh, fever tree cucumber tonic.
1: Always with the ad reads. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, next question. And this, Shane, kind of goes with what you were saying before. So I was excited to get your Second, take last on this. question or last? No, this is the next question. Oh, okay. Do you believe in the laws of attraction and manifestation? Have you manifested anything? So I didn't really like know if there was a defined laws of attraction so i just looked that up and just from the wikipedia page in the new thought philosophy the law of attraction is a pseudoscience based on the belief that positive or negative thoughts bring positive or negative experiences into a person's life so do you believe in them and have you manifested anything i'll just go first really quick so my initial thought was yeah i guess i do and I guess I've manifested a, a, like a lot of different things for myself because I, I do think pretty positively about the things that, I have hap- that have happened. But then as I was thinking about it more, I'm like, no, that doesn't make sense. It's, I think, self-confidence. It's the preparation that you do to get yourself into those positions where you're capable of doing certain things. And it's the drive you have, the ambition, it's feeling sure of yourself or just having... Even a little bit of faith in yourself and going into things, you know, optimistically because you're prepared and because you've kind of—I don't. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it's because if you're you're saying basically, if you believe that you can do it, or if you think you can't, you're you're right.
0: Mm-hmm. Or if you just want to, it's like you know, I wanted to be a teacher. I didn't just walk with my hands in my pocket, whistling. Dixie is that a thing going to the school being like somebody give me a job like I went to school because I had the drive I knew what I wanted to do and
1: And usually I was
0: successful and then then you you know because you're successful and because you feel confident in your capabilities when you go into an interview and things like that ideally that shines through and then you get a job and think you know what I mean
1: yeah absolutely and when you're ignorant like when you're young and you think oh I'm going to be like for me it was like oh I'm going to be on tv producing tv I was so unsure like I I didn't know the things I didn't know so I was way more confident when I was a worse producer and director Mm -hmm. than I am now that I'm a better producer and director because now I know how bad I am Right, because I've done and seen all the, my colleagues and how what good actually is and the work that's actually required. Whereas when I was just in my friend group, hey, I was the best director <laughs> of my friends. I was the biggest hustler. But once you get in there, it's like it's like getting in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Like okay, I'll be riding the bench now. I'm I'm the best high school player though. So I did have that confidence, but I also had such high belief that things were going to work out for me. I knew that school wasn't my thing. I watched Rushmore every night of my life, which was about <laughs> a, an underachieving scholastic person, but an overachiever in every other facet of life. And I I adapted that thing where, hey, school doesn't matter, but this does. I'm just going to have my eye set on the prize. I thought love is going to happen. I'm going to make it happen. If I liked a person I would just lay in bed thinking of that person obsessively and like in some cases like 10 years of, would go by and then I'd end up with that person mm-hmm. and I'd think oh my goodness this was the person I liked 10 years ago and said one day it's gonna work out and yeah. then it did and then with you before our first date I just had a feeling that we were going to get married and have children together mm-hmm. and I just had this like Intense feeling about it that it was like certain. I had been through so many Tinder dates and I was like, this feels like the time. I met her on the music video. I liked her then. I get a sense of who she is. I like everything she's about. People are telling me she's too nice for me. I love that. Met you, realized you were very nice, but you weren't without an edge or mm-hmm. a humorous, like you got my humor. mm mm-hmm. And you were very similar to me. And any time I shared something with you, I was scared to share that I thought it would turn you off. You would be like, me too. Mm -hmm. So then it just confirmed my belief. And then everything unfolded the way I thought it would.
0: Yeah. And and here's the thing. It's like you could say you manifested that. But then at the same time, like you were saying earlier, you put in the work. You went on those hundred dates. You had the drive and you were putting things in place to allow your manifestations to happen. You know what I mean? So it's like you can't just sit there and manifest and make mood boards, but then not do anything and not leave your house and not actually put yourself out there because you need to be putting in work and you need to be advocating for yourself constantly, constantly, whether it's in love or your career or whatever. Otherwise, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Maybe in the end, I don't believe in the laws of attraction or manifestation. I just believe in oneself. Yeah.
1: It's like when you like someone and they like you back, it's like, oh, it's because Mm -hmm. I manifested it. But it's like, no, you're putting it out there, this friendly thing. And that person sees that you're giving them that Mm -hmm. nice, friendly thing. And you're doing that with not only people, but jobs or a job interview that you really want. You're going to really put forth your best self. And then you're more likely to be hired in in that Mm -hmm. field. So it works for everything. I think you're right.
0: You know, it's funny. I have... um a friend from university who is currently him and this girl just got together. They're both like there was motivational
1: gurus like, Yeah, love and there was gurus. like
0: a uh, what women's magazine or something just put out a thing about them saying like millionaire, you know, millennials get together and now they're talking all about manifesting your dream relationship. And they're doing it as like a power couple. But I think they've been together for like a couple months. They met on Clubhouse. It's this very interesting relationship. And I'm kind of dying to have them on, to ask them. And like we could, Mickey's Like
1: Mickey's Clubhouse?
0: No, like the app Clubhouse. No, I know. <laughs> but it'd be so interesting to have them on and like hash these things out with them. Like, is it manifestation or is it... Putting yourself out there, what's the difference? And like, I, I'm just fascinated about their relationship, and I'm dying. Like, I think they're That's gonna welcome. get married on Clubhouse. I think they're gonna like air their ceremony on Clubhouse. Mickey's Clubhouse. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: It'd be funny if you were like, yes, on that one. Yeah,
0: yeah, I like that. Stuff.
1: Good questions.
0: All right. Uh, where do you see yourself in 10 years?
1: Nude Beach.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but everybody feels comfortable, so it's okay. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know. If I think like my hopes and dreams and like, you know, what would be great? What would be great is working from home and doing this and maybe doing this on a a larger level. But I don't know if I think realistically and also not negatively because I love my other job and it would be doing my other job. And I honestly don't. I just don't know. I don't know where we'll be in 10 years. We'll just be doing something and we'll be happy doing it.
1: I would love to be retired somehow.
0: <laughs> that would be a yeah, very <laughs> do, ideal. Oh, this
1: isn't like a fantasy. Okay, where do I see myself?
0: Well, Shane, manifest it. Tell me, where do you see yourself in 10 years, fantasy land? Let's, I want to hear it. Let's manifest this into existence.
1: Would, my my fantasy is that I'm retired somehow. And all I do is plan trips that revolve around the NBA season, and I sit courtside everywhere. And I'm <laughs> I'm not like Drake famous, but people who watch are like, "Oh, look, there's that guy. He's at every game. Like that guy." And the, I, it's like when I watch Raptors games, there's certain people mm-hmm. I always see, and I would just love to be that guy.
0: So what? Me and the kids aren't a part of this like fantasy Raptors.
1: Of course, like, you're courtside. You're coming. It's a family thing too. <laughs> And it's that's the life. And we do the podcast okay. and it's just a very leisurely thing for us. And I we're vacationing a lot and we're having a lot of fun.
0: Sounds ideal. I'm I'm in for this. Okay, that's fantasy. What I
1: actually see happening, I I would love to still be working at my job. Mm-hmm. Is that realistic in 10 years from now? I don't know. The The landscape of TV is always shifting. And I've been jumping from island to island mm-hmm. safely so far. But I, I, we've had many close calls where I've almost yeah. been laid off my job. And like when we first met, I thought I was going to get laid off. And you bought me like this... Yeah, this awesome care package, which meant a ton to me at the time. And and you introduced me to Beneath Underwear. You bought me underwear in a care package, and I thought, this is going to work out. Like (laughs) she's buying my delicates, and they were the best underwear.
0: (laughs) The way you just said delicates there, too, I liked that. Okay. The fingers together.
1: But yeah, I think still working in the industry in some capacity, definitely still doing the podcast. And I think it will be a bigger deal the mm-hmm. podcast than it is and i'm already very surprised of how big of a deal it is currently
0: yeah
1: but yeah that's that's what i see i no, see I the that. kids being 13 oh my gosh that is terrifying <laughs> what, that ten, is so crazy ten, to think of and, 11. and i just feel like lou's gonna be like the funny like leader type and betty's going to be the quieter like thin- athletic i feel like she's yeah. gonna be athletic
0: oh she's got hands man like she She snatches things off the table. She's so strong, too. Like, Mm -hmm. full-size dinner plates, like, by accident, obviously, and we grab them out of her hands the second she grabs them. But, yeah, she has great hand-eye coordination.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: All right, next question. If Pinocchio says, my nose is about to grow, what happens? So, my understanding of this question is, if we had Pinocchio in the room and his nose started growing, what would be the lie that was just told? So... Mine would be, and honestly, this was just the only thing I could think of, putting Lucy to bed, giving her a kiss for the last time and saying, okay, Lucy, are you sure you don't need to go poop right now before bed? And she says, no. Then Pinocchio's nose would grow because then every single night we leave Lucy's room, we say goodnight, and then 10 minutes later she goes, I need to go poop.
1: So Lou would be Pinocchio on that? Well, because like, Pinocchio's nose doesn't grow if he hears someone lie. Yeah, lying. but I,
0: I think like that's how I'm reading the question. If like he's in the room and like you know, catching I, know lies. I think you're
1: well, someone has to be Pinocchio.
0: Well, I, I assume so, but that's not how it's written. So, so Lou's just,
1: Pinocchio in it.
0: Yes, kay. I guess.
1: So for me, it would be I'm taking a bedtime scenario too. When Lou wants to procrastinate on actually going to sleep, mm. she's like, "Can you get me a little sip of water?" I'm like, "Yes." Can you do this? And then she'll have one more wilder claim at the end, like. <laughs> I need my cat. I haven't seen in a long time. Can you go get it? <laughs> it's downstairs somewhere. I go, yes. I'm Pinocchio. My nose would grow then because I say yes. I go downstairs and I know she's forgotten about it. <laughs> she's She knows she's throwing a Hail Mary. Yeah. And she's like, he's not coming back and I'm not going to fuss after this. But if he does, that would be great.
0: Yeah, because then she'd be able to throw out one more ludicrous yeah. thing. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Final question. It's a hard-hitting one. Are you ready?
1: It's obviously not. No, hit me.
0: S'mores. Gooey or crispy?
1: Okay, can we just end the pod? Well, tell me
0: which one. I say gooey.
1: Like, they're always gooey to some extent, so I'm going crispy. Texture is everything.
0: Yeah, so, well, I'm... Okay, here's the thing. When I was thinking about this question, I was like, crispy, does that mean, like, you don't melt the chocolate first and, like, you... You know what I mean? Because for me, the gooiness comes when it's all heated up, including the graham cracker, because then it gets hot kind of just from grilling it beforehand.
1: It makes a big mess, though. So if I could mitigate the mess in any way Mm. but still retain all the flavors... Good question. I I did end up liking it in the end. And I like all of you. Give us five stars or not, whatever. No,
0: give us five stars. Give us a great review. If you listen to the end of this podcast, you like us enough to do so. And we freaking love you for sticking around to the end.
1: Leave us a comment. Yeah. I love reading those comments. Tell
0: us your favorite thing about the last episode you listened to. That would be the best.
1: All right. Thank you so much for listening to this This Family Family Tree Tree Podcast. podcast
0: episode 87.